to the ether today is thursday january 19th 2023 today on the ether a chepe space luna where are we going let's take a listen hey gang good afternoon <clears throat> just thought i'd hang out for a bit been busy this week working and stuff uh <laughs> saving lives and whatever um so i've been kind of preoccupied a little bit um, if anyone wants to hop up, uh, come chat, feel free. Um, I was kind of noting this last month that, uh, the Bitcoin hash rate capitulation chart has been accurate yet again in predicting a relative bottom in the, uh, overall market. Um, if you guys are not aware of what that is, um, you can, trying to figure out let's see where can you find this metric easiest way to get it is on TradingView. so if you uh get onto tradingview.com and you pull up one of the indicators which is a custom indicator someone has created at some point years ago uh you can look at a chart that shows the hash rate of the bitcoin mining network and with that um with that chart you can actually see uh where hash rate is not only at its lowest but just an overall chart of uh, suggesting where capitulation happens. And there's a little neat little indicator on there, buy and sell. And it literally just tells you, you know, it's like it turns green where it's time to buy and it turns red where it's time to sell. It's quite good at figuring out where the market is most um, seriously distressed. And it's not one of these pie in the sky indicators. It uses real world data, which is kind of cool. Um, What it does basically is, it uh, looks at the overall hash rate and says, okay, um, uh, how many miners are turning off their Bitcoin miners as a result of lower prices? Uh, why would they do that? Well, because the cost of the mining equipment maintenance, um, payments on interest and or the uh, return on investment generally is low enough where people shut off their Bitcoin miner and, uh And that usually is considered like minor capitulation. And it usually implies that any distressed miners are going to sell their crypto uh, or sell their Bitcoin um, or they're done selling um, to try to cover for their losses. They tend to lower the the mining output when it's cheaper to buy Bitcoin with cash than it is to mine it with a mining device, right? So it just suggests to you when those events happen, uh, that um, the the sort of like the right time to buy is in play. Uh, minor capitulation was shown to be present like uh, below eighteen thousand dollar Bitcoin. Uh, current cost to mine Bitcoins around, uh, depending on which jurisdiction of the world you're in or whatever, it's anywhere between like ten to twenty five thousand uh, dollars. 
if you're in like Russia and you have a lot of free energy, it's cheaper. If you are in the United States or in the West, a lot of areas like Bitcoin mining is going to run you around 20 grand per coin or something like that, especially with inflation and the cost of electricity and everything going up. Right. So that's all can tell you like when to buy things. So I bought Bitcoin as low as about, I don't know, 16.5, I think. So I have uh, this round. I have like a round of buying between, I think, like around 20K and 15K. And um, I'm sorry, 20K and 16K. And if I can buy again during that, I will. And then the rest of the market, of course, follows because most of the leverage is off of Bitcoin. So uh, if Bitcoin's doing poorly, altcoins, there's not a lot of leverage money available to gamble. So usually the market doesn't go up that easily. Um, let's see. One of the things are happening. Uh, give me one second. I've got a noise coming here. One sec. Sorry, I had to close my garage door and make some noise. Anyway, uh, so the, uh, the overall... Uh, sort of like this, I guess, bear market rally or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's hard to really tell where things are going to go, but basically FIB levels for Bitcoin are at, um, you, you draw the FIB levels using the bottom of BTC, which is the bottom of the COVID dump to the very top of the market, which is around 70,000 70, bucks. And uh, FIB extensions are pretty wide. So that puts a volatility range of 12K for like the, the lower end for BTC, right around that number. And then for the upper end, probably something like 37K. Um, so huge range, obviously, um, and uh, like not particularly useful. Uh, but, you know, the upside can be good if you grab um, BTC at the bottom. Otherwise, um, what else is happening? Um, there was some kind of news out of China. Um, I, again, I don't know the veracity of this. I don't have any clue if it's true or not. But there was a claim made that... Um, there are there's there was a claim made and sometimes these articles online could be just fud or bullshit or who knows what but there's a claim made that the um there's some advancements that were made in the algorithms used to uh program uh, quantum computers and to generate more qubits using the hardware and that the time it takes to get quantum supremacy uh might be a lot shorter than we think based on some sort of like Chinese developments. Again, I don't know if this is true. We know China has a pretty sizable quantum computing program. Why this is relevant to crypto is because like, let's say I buy Bitcoin this year and we expect like quantum uh, computing to get to like 1.5 million qubits. Uh, if like you're judging by the rate of doubling, if we get that in 15 years, uh, if that time period becomes shorter, like let's say five years or seven years or something ridiculous, like who knows with AI coming in the picture and, you know, the ability to use AI to create hardware and such, like it's quite possible that we hit quantum supremacy sooner. That can affect how cryptocurrency works. It can affect how Bitcoin works um, at various different levels. And um, you, you don't want um, like, well, yeah, you basically don't want that to happen while you have, you're holding the bag. Uh, so anyway, that's a, a constant like FUD risk of Bitcoin. A lot of people claim that um, it's it's you know not that important in the near future. I tend to disagree. Uh, judging by the doubling rate of uh, quantum processing, we're not so far away. And remember, if quantum computing accelerates, the FUD will escalate um, much much faster and get priced into the market much much faster than true quantum supremacy. So, um, you know, like if I have a whole lot of money in Bitcoin, um, I want to be 
careful about that. Um, and I and I have personally diversified by buying basically IBM stock, <laughs> which is uh, the 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 most powerful of the um, like it's one of the most powerful of the available quantum supercomputers out there, which is the IBM Osprey. So I bought some of their stock yeah. and like their dividends for that. What's up, man? You you're trying to say something? Yeah, but I just want to ask a question. So if the Go for quantum commute, if if the quantum computing hits. Would they have to put their entire resource to hit the Bitcoin network to bring it down? Mm, no, because like once you have a certain number of qubits processing power, anybody who has access to the cloud-based quantum uh, system, which is basically anybody, can um, can basically attack the network. And if you have like one and a half million qubits uh, to fifteen million qubits in that range, then the amount of time it takes is relatively short to hack um, current many current cryptographic systems, including what Bitcoin specifically uses. Um, I would like to see, by the way, like the Bitcoin network ultimately move to a quantum resistant protocol. You and I, everyone knows how difficult it is to make a change to the BTC network, but there's not a reason yeah. why it couldn't be done. And I think the, the pressure to do it should happen long before somebody discovers a way to um, deal with like what we ha now have now, which is not a quantum resistant system. So that's a problem. There are other, I don't know the, like all the different nuances between all the different cryptographic systems, but um, certainly BTC is not one of the quantum resistant ones at the moment. And realizing that a lot of leverage and a lot of the other coins are based price-wise on BTC, um, it's not a, it's not a, people should like be aware that that's a thing. They should kind of plan around it somehow and be thinking about it. I don't believe the noise, like, I think the the people who are like, you know, Bitcoin optimists are like, oh yeah, it's not a big deal or whatever. I think that's silly because like at the end of the day, if I had to choose, like, if like imagine, so let's say IBM achieves quantum supremacy in 2027, um, like which is gonna likely do better, Bitcoin or IBM stock, right? Like <laughs> IBM stock. So which that what that means is like, it's not just a function of like, well, is B, my BTC safe? It's also a matter of like, how do I hedge against that? And how can I take advantage? Yeah, there's of there's the another question there as well. In, in yeah. terms of quantum security, is your, is your nation safe? So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, like, my, my way of thinking about it is like, okay, let me just invest in the, the possibility that, um, that quantum computing matters and that it's going to be a big thing. So I've, you know, I keep an eye on um, some of these different issues. I think Google also... Um, I'll, I'll probably, if we have a good solid market crash this year, deeper than we have already, I'll probably pick up some Google stock too, just because uh, Google has not deployed yet any kind of like quantum at scale and it has not deployed yet. Um, it's, uh, it hasn't uh, made its Google AI products available to the public. Everyone's no. well aware of ChatGPT and what it does. But we haven't had as much ability as the general public to use products out of Google DeepMind's labs. And you have to imagine they are looking for a way to capitalize big time on their technology, which is at the heart, by the way, of ChatGPT and GPT in general. So well, um, what, they're very, that, very that, That's where they're going to make the money in the future is buying up IP rights. And they've done that for a long time. So Yeah, yeah. So they'll license out the, the system or something like that or whatever it is. But the point is, like, they haven't monetized it in a serious way yet. And with the stock market down, 
Um, I think uh, all of the big tech players, the Microsofts, the Googles, everyone wants to like be the, you know, folks that really like monetize that new tech. And it's not really just simple new tech. I mean, we've talked about this at, at length before, like, you know, AI is like the invention of fire. Like yeah. it's, it's one of the Thank singular, most important events in the history of the human race to get, um, to get these kinds of systems built. And, um, and it's going to affect all of our professional lives very, very quickly. I, I did a lecture for the medical school today and kind of talked to all the teams about like how I would immediately use just GPT if it was interfaced with my um, like productivity software that I use for medical purposes. Um, I think just like the existing tech can reduce my workload by like 50 to 80% or something like that. It's ridiculous. So like, uh, yeah. everyone, everyone should be aware. It may, it may, it may automate you out of existence eventually. So. Yeah, to some extent, to some extent, but you know what I've done in the past, like to keep myself relevant is I try to stay abreast of the tech and make use of it yeah. to the best of my ability and be better than everyone else. That's how I win. Um, and uh, that's just what it is, but you're right. It's, it could really substantially reduce the number of potential, um, like if it improves our efficiency, even 20 to 30%, right? Which I think it can in information management tech, uh, information management careers, then I think it will uh, partly uh, get rid of some of our jobs, unfortunately. And um, it'll create- well, new They're ones, probably, probably quite similar in careers. So I can imagine so, but even so, there's the, a specialist, how you do that and how you automate the process and how you do the entire thing, which will be a niche in itself, so. Yeah, like I, 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 like I think the thing to imagine is, uh, so, you know, like for example, if I'm in a patient chart today on a computer, and I want to ask a simple question, like, uh, has this person ever had any lung abnormalities in their X-rays? Um, be able to answer that, ask that question very simply without having to dig through, you know, dozens of X-rays or, you know, or. Um, you know, do, you know, like like having a, a GPT system basically just scan all the different work that has been done already and answer some simple questions. For example, sometimes I just want to know, has this person ever had a heart catheterization before? But I don't want to dig through the fucking like the entire hospital record. Yeah, exactly. out, oh, look, there's a heart cath that was done seven years ago. And the, you want a, a system that can instantaneously search all that, like a super search, which doesn't require like um, a lot of implementation tech, like. APIs and like, you know, algorithms and things. If the system can just, I can just right click, you know how you do a spell check on your spell check? Yeah. Right now? Like and if you can, can right do that, on your thing, I was, yeah, I was talking to um, an AN, AN engineer a while back and she wanted about, it's like, like power behind simple, like visualization tools like that. So with the Q&A system can filter through the entire data so without even thinking about it. So you type that in, that becomes powerful enough that it will tell you that. And that's... yeah, it'll it'll be powerful because basically, like a lot of questions that I have when I when I'm doing research on a on a, a pile of paper. Think about it as this: like I have a, yeah. a pile of data. I've got to dig through it for 20 minutes to figure out like details about this person. Um, the faster I can get that information. So, for example, if I say to the system, uh, "Find me all of the reasons you can find in the chart for a person being short of breath." then all it has to do is say, okay, well, you know, chat GPT can do that shit now. So like the only difference is if you have access to a patient chart, then it can say, oh, look, their heart function 
is at uh, 40% ejection fraction, or, oh, look, they have diastolic heart dysfunction, or look, they have a history of smoking before, or hey, look, uh, they've been hospitalized for respiratory distress before, or something like that, right? You can, you can quite simply get data aggregation very fast among lots of different disparate data sets without having the same database or anything like that, and it can provide a lot of information fast. And I think that sort of basic tool um, will be available to many, many different professions to the extent that, let's say you're in the accounting profession, maybe you use QuickBooks or maybe you use um, you know, Nets, Oracle NetSuite or something like that. You'll have a little right-click button that allows you to do specific AI tasks. And slowly people will come up with like the most common macros that you're going to want. Like maybe you want a macro that can detect Okay, like, all right, you as a business buy uh, Coke from Coca-Cola every month. You want a system that can detect, okay, where is the invoice for this thing? Uh, oh, it's in my email. It checks your email, gets your invoice, tags it to the inv into the thing. And then from now on, it knows how to do it because it knows how to find the Coke logo or some bullshit in the thing. And it can tell you whether you've paid you know, sales taxes on it. It can tell whether that's an inventory item in your accounting. So if you run a shop, for example, um, it's going to dramatically um, like reduce your workload um, it, faster than it takes the world to sort of like come up with a system that is more cohesive, right? Because a lot of this stuff, you, it doesn't need super AI to do it. It's like simple stuff. But the reality is like many computer systems right now are not connected together very well. So that like, let's say a business invoices you on email but you're using QuickBooks. They don't send you a QuickBooks invoice. They send you a different thing. So like you have all these disparate systems and um, yeah, so th those things are going to happen. Um, uh, like, so these GPT style systems are going to make that type of work really, really um, a thing of the past largely. Like because once you train it once, right, um, it's going to have a pretty good sense of what it's doing. And it's going to be able to detect changes, right? Like, let's say, for example, you've never had an invoice from this particular company before. It'll tell you, by the way, this doesn't have an invoice before. Do you want me to uh, file this under, um, you know, cost of goods sold? Do you want me to file this under expenses? Um, and it'll ask you some simple questions. You click a couple of things. It'll figure out which vendor it is because it says it on the fucking thing. Like, it'll usually be on right above the address, right? Like, Maybe the address of the company, the name of the company is right above it. It knows where to find it. It's going to be able to tell. And then it can look up the company, too. It might just Google it and say, oh, this is an LLC. Yeah, this is the company name. This is not the name of a product. It's going to be able to tell what's in an invoice, for example. Um, the system will be able to analyze. And, and it gets used to how invoices are created. And it'll understand, like, oh, this is invoice number such and such. This is how much was sold. This is the total. This is how much taxes were paid, et cetera. It'll sort that all out. No different than, you know. A bookkeeper would do and then it would go further in in terms of like categorizing this thing and this would be something that like for example quickbooks would implement um in their system and they don't have to have every invoice provider in the world provide like an api or some standard um way an invoice is written right that would be nice we don't have that yet but um like in china i think uh uh they have a system where like like all the invoices are like the same for every company and they're all in the same format. So accounting is really, really simple. And then taxes are taken right out of that right away. So they have a whole different, like more advanced system than we do in the U S or in Europe, I think. But, um, but those are just examples. I'm just like pointing out that like with Microsoft coming out with um, GPT baked into Microsoft office, 
what's going to happen is, is you're going to be able to use those tools right within the system. So for example, let's say you're writing a let, you know, you're writing something in Outlook, for example, you need to write a recommendation letter for someone for a job, like something that I do periodically, then I will be able to sort of like, you know, say, well, this person does this, this, and this, and, you know, I right click it and then it'll write me up a, a, a template letter that I can then use to then, um, and then I can tweak it as needed, obviously. Um, so yeah, this is the kind of like when, when Microsoft deploys this, I'm interested to see if they ultimately deploy on Windows also. You know how like spell check, if you look at your Apple or Microsoft products, the spell checker, which is, you know, basically a type of algorithm, obviously, and your speech to text is baked right into the interface, right? Like if I want to say something to chat GPT now, I can, I just put the mic button and next thing you know, I'm, I'm saying something into my Siri or whatever. It's translating that into the uh, system, you know, in, in English and that gets sent to where I want it. Similarly, you'll have these buttons that are placed, you know, I think right at your fingertips to where you can use these tools without a whole lot of hassle. I, I would say it's going to be not that different from a spell checker in the initial, uh, like some of the initial deployments, I would imagine. I think that's what they're trying to sort of do, power automate and the automated task. So you can program your own flow, but in simple no-code language. Exactly. It's it, The beauty of GPT is the, is the no-code component, right? Like maybe you don't know the first thing about... Uh, you know, making a PowerPoint deck because you've never done one before, or maybe it's not something you do very often. And you're like, hey, I want to take this paper that I read and I want to make it into a PowerPoint presentation. And it just does it for you and creates some sort of structure. And it may not be perfect, um, but at the same time, it gets you most of the way there. And um, it's still, a, these are still big innovations, I think. Um, well, even the APIs, the APIs with, uh... Power Automate is super simple compared to do with like Power Query or even R or even Python because it takes out all the work because <laughs> there's a lot of shit you got to consider with like an API and what, what you need to do with it, but it makes it a no-code option and you can get your data fast. So, so anyway, um, outside of A lot of things, people uh, talk anyway, because yeah. <laughs> otherwise we'll talk forever. Things, I wonder, like, yeah, if anyone has, uh, oh, there's ears and beasts and everybody. Um, if I'm wondering if uh, what else is going on around here. Um, been a bit busy this week, just kind of working and stuff, so hadn't been around to hang out or whatever. But um, there's quite a bit of, uh, there's a lot of Terra things happening, obviously. Um, we have, like, Enterprise and Feather and and um, some of the automation plugins that are being designed so that you can do, like, interesting trading algorithms and things. Um, so yeah, some progress being made there. Um, I, but I think like just total capital flowing into, um, like both stocks and crypto and everything else is highly questionable. Um, my suspicion is, is that we'll kind of go sideways from a, from a, uh, like price action standpoint for some time now, um, just given all of the wreckage in the, in the crypto space. But, um, Hey Nuller, what's up? Not much. Just, just hanging out. Uh, you building anything interesting lately? Um, well, actually, we just launched our Stride validator like two nights ago. Uh, oh, okay. So you got a lot of you guys might actually have uh, some like airdrop from them. So if you guys haven't already grabbed it, um, you guys can grab that. It has a decent staking APY. 
the stride uh, the stride um, airdrops are for which holders of what? Um, exactly? So if you staked a bunch of Adam, Osmo, Stars, or Juno, you should have gotten some airdrop. Um, and like as they're launching on a new ecosystems, they'll be like adding more and more airdrops. So our, how do we claim it at this point? Uh, if you just go to app dot stride dot zone forward slash airdrop um it should be like you'll just connect your wallet like kepler or whatever and then you should be able to claim it directly from there oh cool okay um i need to do that thanks for the info. yeah it's it's liquid staking too so like it would essentially give you the opportunity to hold any of those four tokens right now as a liquid staked alternative so you can have liquidity and you can have uh staking rewards kind of a best of both worlds um, and they have decent. Just so pe just so people know, real quick, your validator's name is what on Stride? Why Wheel A and M powered by Next Networks. I can actually pop a link uh, on the tweet space if you want. Yeah, do that. I think uh, probably a lot of people, even if they're going to pick up their Stride airdrop, they probably don't know who to like uh, bother with uh, valid. <laughs> they don't know the validators anyway, so maybe that they'll be interested. Yeah, in parking it with I'll you. I'll throw that up in a second. Cool. So yeah, Stride is basically, and maybe Nuller, can you explain like the difference between Stride and Quicksilver? So these are like liquid staking solutions, right? Honestly, like, is there? Honestly, what's not, the point of all these? There's things? not much different between the two. Um, Quicksilver isn't out quite yet, I don't believe. I think even if they are, they only exist for Atom. Um, my honest opinion is like we kind of do need six or seven different liquid staking protocols. Uh, something that I'm working on right now, and it's you know really in early design stage, is that like. Liquid staking does a lot to unlock capital for people. So essentially all it is, is you can take your Atom tokens and then you can delegate it through them and they will stake it. But the negatives to liquid staking, negatives to regular staking is that like your Atom is locked up for 14 days. So if you want to get that Atom back out, you have to unstake for 14 days. If you have a liquid staking alternative, then what happens is you can then trade that immediately um, because you get like a receipt token, which anyone can go back to Stride or Quicksilver, and then burn their receipt token and get the atom that's been accumulating over time uh, easily. So it's kind of a, a good solution for people that are just you know trying to gain more liquidity and being able to use it. Um, but essentially, what needs to happen is you need six or seven of these different protocols so that even if like one fails to a certain degree or there's some exploit, right? Like they, like the entire ecosystem doesn't fall apart. Like right now with ETH. You have like Lido, which is the biggest staking provider. If something happens with their code base where, you know, there's some exploit or someone can gain all the voting power from all the Lido staked ETH, um, then the Ethereum ecosystem would be heavily, heavily uh, affected. So really it's very similar products um, that just need to exist and multiple of them need to exist so that we have a, a healthier ecosystem in the long run. Yeah, liquid staking to me is something that was inevitable in retrospect as a result of proof of stake networks. Um, there's nothing preventing liquid stake systems from being developed. So it's one of those things where it's like you have people that don't like liquid staking because of the potential centralization risk like Nala was talking about and also the potential for liquid stake tokens to depeg from their underlying assets and on some other issues. But at the same time, it's like um, there's nothing preventing them from occurring, whether it's on Ethereum or elsewhere. So they're liable to occur, I think. And I think it's good to, if we're going to do that, like it's good to have multiple possibilities. Um, 
<coughs> excuse me, like multiple um, liquid staking providers so that it's all not in one place. And like Nalar said, you want these liquid staking providers to stake with a wide variety of uh, validators so you don't, you don't centralize that in one place. So in some ways, liquid staked um, providers might be more serious about who they delegate to than the average retail user or random people. And it might contribute to some uh, decentralization uh, if uh, mm, the, like people like Stride are, are staking your Atom or whatever token it is to, um, uh, they're staking it to um, a, a validator set that is maybe less popular than uh, in, in the name of decentralization. So that might be one of their possible pitch points in a sense that, well, we, we, we want to help decentralize the network by distributing our votes um, you know, to these uh, lesser known but very good validators or something like that. But anyway, anyway it's, it should be interesting, but it's, they're going to happen no matter what. So it's sort of like the question then is, do you participate as individuals or not? And some people benefit from liquid staking, particularly if you tend to borrow off of a liquid staked asset, you want to use it for um, you know, some sort of leverage trading, things like that, that can be a helpful utility for it. Um, so for example, let's say I have a liquid staked atom and I'm at the bottom of the market. I don't have any more money, but I want to use the atom that I have uh, on a protocol somewhere. Uh, and I need a liquid staked version so that I could take on leverage with it. That might be a use case for um, for this. Now, the the downside, of course, is that like if you're borrowing off of your liquid stake tokens, it's like any other risk. You could get liquidated depending on uh, the risk parameters that you have set up in your system. So there's always that. But that's one of the use cases of liquid stake tokens. Um, I know that like during the Terra crash, um, I've kind of told the story many times that like because I had some of my um, or substantial amount of my Luna um, on Prism at the time, uh, Prism Protocol had some some liquid staked interesting derivatives, P Luna and Y Luna, and I kept most of both. And as a result, like even though there was a DPEG event, I wasn't stuck like most people in a situation where I had to um, unstake my assets like in traditional staking. I did have to sell at a bit of a um, a discount because during the DPEG we had like really serious like um, I guess like DPEGing of the actual liquid stake tokens from quote unquote true value because it was a way for people to sell. But I was able, even though I had to sort of quote unquote lose like fifteen percent in that trade, it was better than being stuck and having my Luna go to zero. So Prism Protocol indirectly saved me um, a lot of money, like generally speaking. So, you know, it's like that's one of the reasons why liquid stake might be useful to you as well to stay liquid. Anyway, I think that's what Nala was trying to say. But yeah, cool. Um, I'll go check out the stator. I'm sorry, not stator, the uh, stride um, airdrops available to me. I have both like Adam, Juno. Is, is there going to be any Luna um, liquid staking on uh, this platform? announced it yet, but I do know for a fact that Kajira is happening within the next month or two. Um, yeah, they haven't, they haven't really announced because like there has to be some coordination between the chains. So essentially they're, they are using ICE, like interchain accounts. So the way it works is like, um, like the stake is actually delegated directly to you as well. So like you're able to like the, the chain itself does very lightweight work. 
um, and uses interchain accounts to make sure that everyone still like has access to their stake, if that makes sense. Um, so it's like the one of the first implementations I've seen of it. Um, I think also in the future they're moving to ICE, with ICS moving to like a consumer chain on Addo. So they're trying out a lot of the new tech. So as a result, a lot of those chains that don't have all the upgrades done aren't exactly compatible. Like I know two days ago, Kujira had to enable, uh, I think it was IBC transfers again to Stride so that they could get these uh, get the uh, liquid staking enabled again. Cool. Easy. Did you have a question? Yeah. Like, there's, like, somebody's, like, tweeting about USD2. Like, there's going to be USD2. And what about, like, previous USD holders? Um, well, for starters, anything related to uh, UST2, if someone's going to do any kind of um, stablecoin of some kind, um, there's different layers to that. Number one, uh, I don't think there's anything useful that's going to come of UST 1.0 that I'm aware of. Um, there's no great way to translate the locked-in value of UST 1.0 into some kind of like benefit to me as a US old UST holder if I'm stuck with some of that, right? I don't think there's a really, there's not like a mathematically feasible way to sort of make the price of that go up in some meaningful way. Um, <laughs> I just don't think, I don't, I just don't see it happening. So the, the, the second question is like, is, is there scope for a, some kind of algorithmic or otherwise stable coin in the universe of crypto? I think the probability is that it's not zero. There is a chance that there is possibilities of systems that could work. Um, a lot was learned from the UST Luna DPEG situation um, that can result in some um, new strategies for this. Um, at the same time, um, like, you know, is is there something really huge that's on the radar right now that I'm like, oh, yeah, like it's it's solved, you know, or whatever. I haven't seen it yet. So um, we'll keep an eye on it. I I, I tend to agree with Bruce, though in that, uh, and he's not here at the moment, but like uh, this idea that who's more likely to understand the problems that happened with um, the DPEG and all the other factors, and that's still gonna be TFL, it's still gonna be Doe and people like that. Um, if I was gonna trust anyone to build a brand new system that um, is more robust than before, like they're it as far as I'm concerned. Um, any kind of collateralized system, anything that's like a collateralized stable, your maker, your die, and some of these other interesting things that are out there. I'm not too impressed with any of that. Like, I don't find the need to store my value in stable coins outside of maybe a little bit of bot trading and this and that. I just don't see it. Like, uh, number one, like a the 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 stable coins like Tether and Circle, they're not zero risk situations. Number one, um, and two, like um, I'm mostly in crypto for um speculative like exponential growth i'm not interested in it as a cash value store destination um i guess you could benefit from the sovereignty of like a decentralized stable coin but i don't know that you get a whole lot of advantage from a centralized stable coin from the perspective of sovereignty or any or off ramps or anything else so it's kind of like a um i, I don't have any serious money like i think i have like 0.0001% right now of my 
money in like tether or some shit like that like but almost nothing so i don't pay that close attention to to centralized stable coins i just don't care for them that much i think they offer um they're, they're not scalable like like there's no great reason for someone to provide uh legitimate collateral for those things so they're ten they're gonna have a tendency to be under collateralized and if they're fully collateralized you have to ask yourself how are you going to scale that and why would anyone provide um you know that much collateral so that you can play around on the internet right like it doesn't make any sense for you know a trillion dollars for example to be invested by somebody to uh provide you with play money on the internet like it just doesn't make any sense like you know they, like there's no money making scheme that ultimately fits that um that paradigm so in my view like right now it's like it's so easy to put cash in a bank and earn interest now because interest rates are so high why would you want to take any risk on freaking stable coins it's completely pointless so like that's to me um in a nutshell the issue now uh, so is there going to be a market for um uh, decentralized stables of some kind where maybe you have lots and lots of different stable coins one for each chain and then they become like interchangeable and very fungible between one another so that um, you create like a robust network of stables that are kind of counter collateralizing each other and maybe like, or not just collateralize each other, but like the LPs counterbalance the changes in price weights for these things and sort of like you have a multi-chain approach to this, maybe. Um, so I've had some theories in my head, I don't, I don't know how to implement them, but like there's some ideas that, that, that could work, um, but I think we talked about decentralized finance need decentralized money. What never got solved is that decentralized finance needs decentralized remittances, Rem by, meaning like you need to have at least 10 to 100 different places that you can remit your stablecoin one to one for a dollar at any given time with no risk of DPEG. And even Binance and others don't do this, by the way. Um, transiently, you will have the peg of Tether and the peg of USDC go off peg. And the reason for that is that even Binance is not comfortable giving you a one-to-one -one remittance for even collateralized, fully backed stable coins, supposedly. If they were, they would just simply give you an exact dollar or they would convert your USDC to USDT with no fees and have a perfect one-to-one -one conversion. They do not do this. Why? Because they're not willing to foot that risk. So they don't even, even Binance and such doesn't believe those things are fully safe. Otherwise, they would. If you look at what Coinbase does with, with Circle Corporation, for example, USDC on Coinbase, you can trade it from fiat to USDC and you get a perfect one-to-one -one with the dollar. If I convert a million dollars of USD to USDC, I get an exact million dollars worth of USDC. I don't get any fees. I don't get anything in between. I think if you don't have that, that one-to-one -one guaranteed remittance uh, right there at the centralized exchange, I think all of these things are at some risk and the inability for Binance, for example, to provide that kind of assurance and taking what they call a stable coin and they don't actually provide one-to-one -one remittance guaranteed, they basically don't want to take the risk that Tether Corporation or Circle or whoever are taking. Um, like they don't want to, they don't want that contagion risk basically. So you know like this kind of problem like you i don't think a decentralized stable coin um is going to make full sense if a vast majority of trading volumes tend to happen on centralized exchanges you can short the underlying assets either whether it was luna whether it was ust those same companies like binance like um uh that you know like kucoin or whatever that allow 
you to trade these assets on their platform are also offering the ability to short these same things. Like FCX did this specifically. Like that's how Alameda uh, took advantage of the UST Luna DPEG is that they offered shorts right before the DPEG and then kind of like purposefully um, like crash the system. But these kinds of things are made possible by a system where um, the centralized exchanges are sort of complicit in the destruction of um, like decentralized stable coins. Yet they're, they're the ones that offer the same coins and claim that they're, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll make claims, they'll stick them in the stable section. Like UST was put in the stable coin section. But at the same time, um, like you had, they're the exact same people that are creating the mechanism for destroying the system too, which is a problem. So I think like if a consortium of like, let's say 10 or 20 centralized exchanges all said, hey, look, we're going to support this. We're not going to allow shorting of these assets on our platforms, not where we offer one-to-one -one guaranteed remittance. Then I think this becomes somewhat possible. Um, you could probably do it in DeFi. You could probably do it if like maybe like 10, 20, 30 chains on Cosmos get big enough eventually. And there is a Cosmos native stable that is backed by all the chains and the, the economic activity of the chains. I think that's much more likely to be like legit. Um, it's not any different than like, for example, um, a national currency today. You can go to anywhere in the world and find that it's traded on Forexes all over the planet. And you can trade your Argentinian peso wherever you know it's traded. And you can convert that to whatever currency you want. And it's provided the remittance rate is usually minus fees, it's very similar anywhere in the world that you go. And that has to be the case for stable coins as well. So like, yeah, the, my long sort of story about like uh, the stable coin structure is, man, it's like a, it's like a, it's a big deal. I think we need it. I think it's all why we were in Luna UST to begin with. I think it's important for all of us to have that financial freedom, ideally. Um, like, but the, what is the right mechanism to produce this outcome? Um, I don't know that anyone's fully solved it on a global scale, right? This is the problem. Um, I think we're realizing how difficult it was to make the U.S. dollar basically the network effect that it is, right? Like, you know, if, if you have a currency that's like something like 90% of all the M123 currency on float, it was very difficult to create the network effect of the dollar over a, whatever, like 100 years or something or more. And that network effect, replacing that in crypto, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's um, a stable coin or a peg stable coin or anything else, it's not that easy to do, apparently. Um, pound sterling is a good example, like the, the, the British Empire and everything uh, created a tremendous network effect there. France, with its imperialism, created um, you know a, a big network effect there. Uh, and now China is doing the same thing, getting yuan everywhere and um, using their yuan to like again build network effects across the you know the 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 what is it called the um uh, what's their policy called the something road policy silk road not silk road um the uh anyway but the, basically everyone wants that network effect and it's hard to produce that and when you have it a network effect that's large enough then the peg can be maintained on different assets um like and across different parts of the world because the, the, the everyone wants that particular asset, it has a demand, and then there's economic activity backing that asset. So I think if like the current Luna chain, for example, if you could, if TFL and everybody else is successful in building out a huge amount of economic activity on the chain, um, which, you know, we have a little bit of a head start because we have good user interface here. 
versus a lot of other L1s, which basically suck. Um, so it, it, there's a little bit of a leg up there, but that's not good enough. A fancy user interface won't be enough. You need to have lots and lots of productive activity, interesting stuff to do. Um, once that happens and the financial products get um, better and better, then the possibility, um, once the economic activity is there, and when you're like a, let's say you're the size of Ethereum or something like that, it's much, much easier to use that as a, as a like jumping point for uh, decentralized stables. Um, so even if some, some decentralized stables were created today, like Kajira has one and whoever, um, is that going to be the magic thing that I'm looking for? Not really. That's not it to me. Um, I think unless the token is available and usable anywhere within the IVC, um, the network effect as a place to store my value is simply not there. Um, I think Luna UST was the closest um, mechanism to being feasible. And even that with um, a concerted financial attack by Alameda and, um, and FTX, um, we all got screwed over, as as you all know. Um, and that was a kind of like a black swan type of once in a, you know, one time event, possibly. Um, it's there aren't that many players in the market that have the power to destroy a system like that. Although, you know, there is plenty of money in traditional finance that could easily have devastated the Luna UST mechanism, just judging by how it played out. So, um, you know, any any major hedge fund or major um brokerage house that has access to a gajillions of dollars can definitely have done this. Um, now they might not have had the like technical understanding and some other details, but what Alameda FTX did certainly was partly based on insider information from Terraform Labs. And they utilize that information to fuck us essentially, like long story short. And, um, you know, like, is that going to happen again at some point, depending on the currency? Um, who knows? We'll have to see. But... You yeah. just have to watch the people from Terraform Labs where they go. <laughs> Wait, what was that? What'd you say? You have to watch uh, where the people from Terraform Labs go and the oh, organizations they, <laughs> they build yeah. with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but the TFL people at least um, have a very deep understanding of what happened, right? Like, I would be very nervous about anyone building a stablecoin that didn't involve feedback from people like um, Do Kwan and TFL, because they deeply understood what went wrong and uh, probably could tell you f straight up, like, is it possible to create something like this yet? Um, I suspect the answer is um, probably no. And the reason is because if there was an amazing product that could be created, we'd be talking about it already. Um, I think it's not that easy. So I think Do's focused more on building um, economic activity for the Terra Luna blockchain and creating um, dApps and things that are useful first. And that's where Enterprise and some of these other projects that are um, coming out come into play, getting the wallet improved, making it a great user experience, bringing in yeah. like Cosmos liquidity at least, and then kind of building that up is I think a great start. We'll see what happens. How would you sort of bridge going from Web 2 to Web 3 at the moment with the uh, current market? and faith in the communities, I don't know. What's the question? You were saying something about Web so 2. How, yeah, how would you bridge sort of going from Web 2 to Web 3 at the moment? So I see lots of mm -hmm. projects trying to do it. Yeah. I how think... do you do it best? 
Yeah, Web3 franchises will be just, I think they'll have a different um, set of use cases than Web2 types of things. There's some types of technologies that function really well centralized. There's no need yeah. to decentralize everything. Mm, I think to some extent, like the Web3 magic is if we can be in control of our uh, personal finances and personal data, that's sort of like the goal of it. Yeah. But um, is that going but to you be... need to make the bridge between the two as easy as possible? How would you do it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm Cross not sure platform. everything needs to be bridged necessarily. But yeah, there might be um, certain types of data, certain types of processes that you want to happen on a decentralized layer. Um, I think that's what makes Celestia kind of interesting. Yeah. In that um, you have lots of different things that need uh, blockchain. A lot of things that don't need blockchain. And then bridging the different elements that make um, both useful and could be kind of cool. Um, like, for example, like, let's say Twitter, for example. Mm, let's say uh, you could sort of like maybe earn Twitter points or something from doing tweets or, you know, getting liked on Twitter or something like that. And then that could be used perhaps to monetize your information somehow to be beneficial to advertisers. But at the same time, like maybe you get paid for sharing that or something or whatever, right? Like there could be a system where like the data ownership is partially yours uh, in a sense, or, or you could monetize. That's it. a bit like that. That's a bit like what Diamond does, but not quite. Yeah, I think there's small implementations of these things. I haven't used a lot of them, but yeah, but but you can imagine like there's ways to kind of blend the two. Um, you know, frequent flyer miles or um like like airline miles or hotel you know stay points or whatever the hell you know these these kind of rewards programs as an example could probably be done with crypto there's a chain actually coming there's a retail um i forget the name there's a gentleman that comes on the spaces periodically talking about it but there's a cosmos based chain being uh that's either open already or is on testnet i'm not sure which one but it's a a, a, a like a rewards points type thing and they're moving to blockchain, but most of their sales happen, or all of their sales happen, at checkouts um, on e-commerce websites. So that's an example of where, you know, they're putting some of their um, workload on chain. And you know, if if the validators can make a buck doing this, and there's somehow a way to benefit the customer, and there's a benefit to the business, and a benefit to the retailers then um, you can align incentives somehow, then that kind of thing could be successful. But there is a Cosmos chain being... Hmm. They're in it might, be, it might be already right open. What's no, they're that? not out yet. They're, they started they're their second testnet, um, and I think we're getting IBC working soon. So that's all I can say. Interesting. So have you been working with that guy at all? Or? Yeah. Close. It's Mike, right, from, from Loyal? Yeah, loyal Mike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I forget everyone. I'm not good with names, so I tend to forget these things a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> but Mike from Loyal, yeah, he's been on Spaces a few times and talked about his project. But yeah, uh, the on the, to the point of like, how do you connect Web3, Web2 franchises and different ideas? Mm, there's all sorts of different ways to interconnect the things and make use of it, but we'll see. Um, I think Strike had a comment or point about something or another. Go ahead, man. And strike you there <laughs> maybe not anyway easy are you are you hoping and planning for a a, a new 
UST stablecoin of some kind, or what do you want to see happen? Um, I don't know, man. Um, I just want uh, just peace and stability in the whole world, and that can be only brought by like Doquan. Oh yeah, so it's like you're. It's like Doquan needs to build. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, uh, the. The thing uh, and the plans he's like doing with the Luna too. He should have done that before. Then he would. Then he should have jumped to the stablecoin thing. I think. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine if these idiots at um, Alameda hadn't done what they'd done, and we got to the point where you know we had, let's say, a hundred billion dollar market cap for UST Luna. It would have been a lot harder to crash at that point, and. Like, you know, you have to reach sort of like critical mass in a sense to where the cost of an economic attack is really, really high. And I don't know, we were going the right direction, unfortunately. I think, I think it, there should be like two to three stable pairs of a stable coin. So it would be more indestructible by anyone like a tripod structure, I think. Yeah. Foresight's a bitch, isn't it, sometimes, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, one, one lesson I think that was learned is... Um, what you don't want to do is you don't want to tie the um, primary governance token, i.e. Luna, to the uh, stablecoin system. So you were trying to get too many kind of functions of the primary coin Luna out of this and <laughs> governance um, and the ability to affect parameter changes. And also it'd be the primary collateral for UST clearly did not work, which is why we have Luna and Lunk today. It's because like the, the governance system and the, that got wrecked essentially, and um, pre pre existing uh, stakeholders of Luna had their Luna essentially become worthless, and therefore that affected the um, the the ability to run that chain properly with pre existing users. Of course, a bunch of new people came on, but even today, Luna Classic is ultra centralized. Unfortunately, that's a problem. Um, but anyway, yeah, like I think uh, if I if you think about like the different purposes of crypto, one of them is store of value. One of them is sort of medium of exchange type idea. One of those is like a stable coin idea. And oftentimes the medium of exchange and the stable coin are the same thing. At least the, that's what the market wants. It wants that. And then you have, um, and by, by that, I mean, like most of the trading volume in crypto is Tether and Circle at this point. So that's why I can say that with confidence. Um, and then the other thing people want is... Um, um, so they need, you need to have some governance token for your system, right? So ultimately, or you eliminate governance altogether and don't have any governance at all. No parameters, changes, no nothing. You have to have an immutable system, which I suspect is needed. Um, and so, that's probably the um, path of hardest resistance to easiest resistance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what you would do is you would create like a series of coins. One would be your governance coin. One would be your um, stable. One would be your... Um, your um, collateralized unstable or you're, you're unstable that you're using to collateralize your stable coin and then you would probably have to um you know collateralize in such a way that you're basically technically over collateralized but the problem with doing that is that creates a situation where you know it's not quite scalable so what you'd probably have to do is your store of value coin which is a little bit different or i'm sorry your um yeah your store of value governance your 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 um, um, stablecoin would have to work in sort of like a triumvirate system in a sense, 
to counterbalance one another. Um, so I think uh, ultimately what will happen is these type of systems probably end up res uh, resembling more like biological processes, um, like more so than traditional finance or like some kind of technical thing. This could be an interesting area, too, where like the analysis needs to be done by maybe an AI ultimately. And, um, you know, you, like you need a really good optimizer to create a system that would work really well long term. Um, I don't know how to make. I'm not sure how to make all this work, but I, I think it's interesting that IBC mm, theoretically could allow, like, let's say, let's say there's a hundred Cosmos chains and let's say each of them had either a stable coin or they guaranteed one another within the Cosmos um, system. They were able to guarantee remittances of all other um, groups, stable coins, so that you had like a hundred different ones. And if I went to Stride and they had a stable coin, I go to Kujira, they have one. They'll they'll exchange it one to one, no decks, no nothing, just straight up. Um, you go to the desk, you swap it, and now you have you know an exchange for one to one. That would be needed, not just some decks with some pegging mechanism. Um, a, ultimately, a stable has to be one hundred percent stable, like not one one point zero zero to one point zero zero. There can't be any of these shenanigans. Otherwise, it's not. I just don't think it's going to work long term. And this is the reason why, like. To some extent, uh, and I could be wrong, but like Tether and Circle are probably doomed to failure at some point, either due to lack of scalability or just, um, um, you know, long term, are they going to stay popular? I don't know. But um, every time there's like a market chaos, um, people start questioning whether or not Tether is solvent or not. And then huge amounts of media FUD start showing up. And that creates risk that, um, like, you know, the bank run type of situation uh, risk. And we just don't know how much Tether is backed. And therefore, we just don't know exactly how much of the exit liquidity for Bitcoin is real, um, since a lot, some substantial portion of it is Tether. So yeah, the whole thing's a bit of a mess. Um, the, the bigger Bitcoin gets relative to Tether and Circle, the more secure that network becomes. But like I said, because Bitcoin is not quantum resistant yet, um, there's still an attack vector. Yeah, but the risk is that if they have a, the the biggest stakeholders in the system, then it's the biggest risk to it as well. Yeah, although it it, it appears that somehow the stakeholders are total morons. <laughs> like you know, like between uh, Alameda and Sam Bankman-Fried and DCG and Genesis and Grayscale and everybody else, like a lot of the so-called smart money. Um, have fucked up royally right so like you would think yeah. that the stakeholders are all aligned to secure the system um it doesn't appear to be that's that's particularly true it just seems like we have a a bunch of retards running the, the world like it's not that different from tradfi maybe tradfi is even better in that sense i don't know no i i think like it's the exact same thing the only difference is with crypto like you can actually see addresses and you can start to transact and like look through the chain and actually see like, hey, if you know DCG says they have X amount of Bitcoin, you can actually see that they have X amount of Bitcoin. Even right. the issues with right. DCG right now, right? All of their issues have been able to like fester and get worse and worse is because they have TradFi structured loans, which have just gotten worse and worse and worse until the point they're like, hey, we actually can't fix this. And now we're gonna tell you there's a hole that's that's so massive, right? 
Yeah, um, the, and this is the same debate that uh, not debate, but this is the same comment that CZ of Binance made, right? Basically, the problem is is that we can show you how much crypto we have. We have no way to prove to anybody how many liabilities we have, right? Like like outside of crypto, or yeah, you, like there's no way to prove any of that. So the thing about yeah, exactly with DCG or whoever is, um, you might be able to see how much Bitcoin they had. What you don't know is how many liabilities they have otherwise automatically, unless everything they do is on chain, which is not the case at this time. That's a real problem. Like, yeah. uh, so I mean, for example, if I were to go and say, for example, borrow money from Bob, and I borrow like a million dollars from Bob and I go buy a bunch of Bitcoin, I can show that I have the Bitcoin. What I can't show is that I owe like, you know, $1.2 million to Bob. I owe him 20%. Like, I don't, I, there's no way for me to prove my liabilities um, you know, unless Bob is willing to give me a piece of paper that says that, like, you know, he lent me this money and, and it's it's a 20 percent interest or something like that, <laughs> you know, like and even then, you know, we don't it's hard to verify that. So the beauty of Bitcoin is verifiable scarcity. As soon as you start using it for almost anything collateral or anything else, you just don't have all of the pieces of the puzzle on in one place. It's not all unchained. And that's where the problem comes in. That's what Nala was trying to say. The, the, there's also a huge unknown because like 80 to like 85% of Bitcoin has never been traded. Wait, uh, 80, what, what about Bitcoin's traded? I'm not sure I caught that. So like the total value of Bitcoin, like 80% of it's never moved. Oh, sure. It's like it stays uh, immobile. Yeah. What about it? Yeah. Yeah. So you take eight to twenty-five percent of that. What what's going to happen to that if it ever moves? Could it transiently affect markets across the world? Don't know, but it's who's bought yeah, that market. It's like it, it's like what Elon says, isn't it? It's like the the, the, the certain people are bought in the entire market cap, and it will never move. And then they're just sitting on that. But or will it yeah, move? Like or will it do something? I don't know. Yeah, if like what happens you know, to that market cap? If the market cap gets big enough, then let's say Tyler and uh, uh, Cameron Winklevoss, um, maybe they're yeah, I think they're about one percent, didn't they? So. Yeah, you know, maybe they're in trouble and they decide they need to sell their BTC for some reason. Um, yeah, I think I think that's going to have some downward pressure on the market. Obviously, any selling does, but at the same time, if the system is large enough, you know, a multi-hundred billion dollar market, then they could probably they have enough exit liquidity where it's possible to actually make it happen. This is what Elon did with Tesla, if you guys recall. Um, yeah. He bought a bunch of Bitcoin, and he they purposefully sold significant quantities of it to see how much they can get rid of without substantially affecting the the exit price of it, so that they're not causing slippage. Um, so liquidity testing was something that Tesla claimed, like you know, that they did, and you know, made they made it public. Um, anyway, you can see but, the bot uh, going anyway when it went. So, <laughs> yeah, you have to have enough exit liquidity, and um, and I think that's uh, I, I think it's not a big deal. Like even if you talk about the Winklevi wallets, I think there's sufficient enough liquidity now that it's possible them for them to move in and out without causing too much chaos. Although it sends a negative sentiment to the market, right? It's like, oh, these guys are in trouble. Uh, maybe something's going to happen to Gemini or whatever else, and then. You know, you'll have negative sentiment drive market prices down further while you're trying to sell. So that's the that's the trouble with being a mega whale in something like this. It becomes very similar to an insider trade, and insiders um, 
like, you know, would they like, let's say the Winklevi were going to sell tons of Bitcoin. Should they short it somewhere and then sell a bunch of it so they can kind of counter the the slippage in a sense? Or like, how do you manage that? I don't know. Like there's like and then, there, of course, most of those size uh, sales of any kind are going to be over the counter. Um, and so you'll have to find an over the counter vendor like a Coinbase or something like that that has yeah. enough BTC and has enough cash to be able to handle those transactions. Which um, I don't know. <laughs> like, if it's funny because like even they got uh, stuck with the Gemini Earn thing, and they got screwed over by that whole <laughs> the whole uh, Genesis situation as that's playing out now. Um, so yeah, I, I, truly the so-called smartest people in crypto um got pretty well and pretty well wrecked right like it's pretty impressive um <laughs> like it's it's really fascinating how practically every serious or like major fintech play of the last few years blockfi celsius voyager gemini um like so many of these players got whacked with uh with Three Arrows Capital and with what happened with Terra, what happened with um, FTX and everything else. Like, Jesus, like, talk about wreckage. Like, who, who is actually left that's not affected? Um, it just doesn't seem like many big, a grayscale's DPEG into oblivion, right? Like, um, who's going to go gamble and buy grayscale stock, stock now? I don't know. It might be a cheap, by the way, that might be a, uh, the counterplay is um, if someone wants to gamble, it's grayscale stock. Right. Anyway, so it's not, but they they thought they were smart, and but yeah, yeah. Investment advice is probably the worst thing to give in the world, but they like hedge fund gambling. <laughs> yeah, it, it is literal gambling. It's gambling. And yeah. You you basically trust saying somebody to gamble for you. <laughs> it's, it's mad. <laughs> Yeah, but grayscales. Um, mm, I don't know. It, the stock has been a mess, but whatever. Um, yeah, well, I'm looking at my betting funds and seeing what they're investing in. So, <laughs> what is it, your betting friends? <laughs> no pension funds, as in no pension. Like, funds. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's in the hedge funds. End of the day, if they all go down, we get. I don't know how many funds own grayscale, but man, they got wrecked. But um, anyway, it's like the grayscale idea is interesting. Mm, it's just like some of the Ponzi-nomics that got introduced into that is what got got people into issues. But anyway, uh, easy. Yeah, you had a point. Yeah. <clears throat> so should we invest in lunacy or not? Mm, lunacy, I'm, I'm, I'm not really now. I don't follow it that closely. Um, as far as like, mm, I have some little bit of it left and I have it, but mm, I'm not like a, some kind of mega buyer of Luna Classic necessarily. Um, I think, uh, I'm mostly just saving my money for, mm, sort of like interesting projects that are emergent. Um, I've been saving my money to sort of grab if we have one more big crash, you know, like a BTC 12 K you know, Adam $7 or something like that, or Adam five bucks or something. I have like a pile of cash waiting for that. Mm, I have an expectation that there's at least a 50% chance that the stock market craters with all the liquidity drying up 
in which case I'd like to have um, money available to enter that. And I have like a, a maybe like 20 different stocks that I have waiting to buy. And especially the dividend earning stocks where like the dividends are really, really disproportionate when you get these stocks really low. Like I got Petro Brazil when, when Hutch mentioned it at like, how much did I pay for that? Like, well, anyway, it was like a 9% dividend. And the fucking thing was like at a PE ratio of like four or something ridiculous. So it was like really, really cheap. And, you know, people are going to want their oil. And with a 9% dividend getting at that low of a price, PE is so low, like I was able, I'm already up 20% after like a month. Now that could all crash again. And I'm waiting to buy that dip if that happens too. So yeah, like there's a lot of good possibilities out there in the tech space, in energy, everything's down. And that's a, that's a thing for crypto people to understand too. It's like when everything is down, those are all competition for liquidity, right? People are going to buy all yeah. of those things. They're not all going to say, oh, I can only get rich on like, you know, I can only get rich on crypto. No, like if you have like stocks that are down to, you know, like 2016 levels and some of them down to 10 levels or I'm sorry, um, shit, like some of them are down to 2000 levels, meaning like the dot com crash levels, <laughs> like you can get stuff so cheap that it's all it's like, you know, from there, it's almost all up only anyway, at some point. So yeah, I think assuming that the end of the world doesn't happen, there's a lot of stuff on discount right now. So I think that's something to be really aware of. Like, um, don't get caught up in your own little bubble of nonsense and like, try to buy the same thing all the time. I think it's reasonable to um, sort of keep an eye on everything. Um, so yeah, I, I, I buy whatever crypto I buy. And then like, I, the last atom buy I had was like around eight and a half bucks, like right around there. And um, it's now like, what, 12 bucks? That's a pretty good buy, I would say. Um, so made a 50% gain in, what, a month or two or whatever? It's not bad. So I, I'm always looking for those really, like, really deep drops. And um, I'll usually throw some money on it just because. Um, and then, like, Adam, as a great example, like, you know, it's yields like 21%. So if I bought it at 8 and now it's at 12 like, I can sell my yield um, and if there's an, another dip, like let's say it goes back down to nine bucks or whatever, that I can just buy it back again lower, right? So I can use my yield effectively as a trading instrument and I can use my yield to sort of hedge against the rest of the position to some extent or the other. So you can do cool stuff like that. Um, like for example, like you could take technically speaking the yield from a proof of stake blockchain, you could take your yield and then short the actual market on the same coin or another coin to hedge um, in case the price goes down you could use your yield to hedge your primary position. And when you have like a yield creator like Luna, which is like 15% or, or like um, Adam, which is like 20% yield right now, then that represents a pretty substantial hedgeable, like hedge position if you want to use it for that. Um, I tend not to short uh, projects that I like out of principle, <laughs> but because uh, I'm not, I'm trying not to be evil about it. But at the same time, it is a possibility. Um, and there are people that almost certainly are doing that. So even though we may not do it to our own chain, you know there's just traders and stuff that are. So that's where some yeah. of the, that's where some of the volatility comes from. Like you know, like look at the atom chart for example, and you'll notice it's like a sawtooth pattern all the way up. It's a sawtooth pattern all the way down. There's clearly a lot of trading happening there, um, resulting in that price action, which is good. Like you want that. You want lots of bots and traders to play, because then like if you ever have to sell, there's a there's substantial exit liquidity available. Um, so if you do have a large position, 
uh, you are able to exit the market if you want to, right? That's really key. Um, if, if, you, if you're at a point where you need to sell something and there's no actual liquidity there, um, what use is it at that point, right? It's not real money if there's no exit liquidity. So it's good. I don't like, like follow the lead of trading, say follow somebody else's trading button. Drives too much, too much disruption into the market. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of buying, really just, I'm just again I, I bought plenty on the recent dip, I bought plenty this last year, and now I'm just kind of waiting. If it turns out the crypto gives me another uh, possibility, I'll go and get a bunch more. If it just kind of, you know, there's a good chance that like we've had such a long down period. I think it's highly probable based on the history of crypto that you would have like a year with some upside yeah. where BTC makes it to like 35K, you know, 50%, um, you know, like a 50% jump back to like the mid range between the top and the bottom. I think it's very feasible. Um, will it go a whole lot more than that? I would say it's doubtful unless something really, really changes like globally somehow. Um, you know, as, like I said, especially because there's so many things you can invest in at these prices. It's like it's not just one thing or the other. I'm getting ridiculously good prices on stocks like Petro Brazil at 9% dividend yield. And I'm already up 24% of the stock and the dividend yield is not tied to the stock price. Well, shit, like that's a lot of yield. Um, and it's made by selling oil to, I guess, Brazilians or whoever the fuck. So, like, you know, it's not fantasy money. So I think that's helpful to have um, be thinking about all the other possibilities as well. Um, in these markets, man, it's like making money is like just simply a matter of if you have money, you can make it more. If you don't, you're basically screwed because um, now you're missing. Like, so the 2000 dot com bubble was a was a crash that was worth buying. The Lehman Brothers crisis, 2008, 2009, whatever that was, that was a worthwhile crash worth buying. The COVID crash obviously was a crash worth buying. And um, like if you had missed all of those because you didn't have cash at the time, then the question is like, how do you get ready to have enough cash, like based on your work or whatever yeah. it is you do? How do you be, how do you get make be ready for the next crash? And you know, like last two years, I've been taking almost all of my what they call it, like retirement account money, and I've been having it all go straight to cash. Um, but I hadn't been buying the the stock market the last maybe two three years in my mutual funds, and then now like that the market's down, I could deploy all of it now if I want to. Um, multiple years worth and get a nice big buy and then but, but I'm not really being too aggressive yet um, most of that I have not deployed it um, I bought some new stocks and things but like mutual funds and things I'm going to buy those probably along this coming year I don't know if I want to DCA the remain like what money I have into the low market or whether I want to just like wait for like a capitulation crash and then just go all in I, I don't know. I tend to keep it really simple. I don't want to sit and watch that shit. I'm not that interested in stocks and stuff. I just like to like, you know, take all my money and buy all at one time and then just like watch it over a decade. Um, I've that's got a system. question for you though. Do you think the yeah. system's designed for you to um, not have money when it needs to be invested for the normal person? Mm, wait, what do you mean now? Go ahead. Say that again. So for the for, for the middle class, so when we hit rock bottom and everything hits like inflation hits, the uh... I think your connection went down there for a minute. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying though. Like, 
man, when the market's down and let's say your money's in the market already, you're sort of wrecked there. Then you have inflation. So anything you had in cash, you're wrecked there. And then like, you know, in this inflationary market with like the interest rates, you know, rising, the um, like the other thing that gets affected is like the ability for businesses to pay employees more money while the market's also down to cover for inflation is really difficult too. So you wind up with this like death spiral where, yeah, the, the middle class gets essentially screwed by like in every direction in a sense. Now, me personally, like what I am doing this year and the next and the year after that is my wife and I are just doing a lot more work at our regular jobs um, in, as our, in our professions. And we are sort of like amping up how much mm, cash we're bringing in to compensate somewhat for inflation, but also to just like take advantage of the the wrecked markets, both in crypto and otherwise. So like, there's no substitute for fucking work. Like that's, that's investment advice you can take to the bank. Like, you know, like if you, if you think you can get free money without work, go right ahead. That's everyone's prerogative to gamble whatever they want. But like at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm, I do well over my life because I work and I plan to work until I'm dead. And I don't sit around like, you know, buying expensive shit with my money just to sort of flex or whatever the fuck. I don't care about any of that stuff necessarily. Um, like, you know, I have a nice house. I have like, you know, uh, kids in nice schools and all that kind of thing. And sort of like I am reasonably careful with my money and teach basically my kids how to use their money properly if I can. And that's about it. Like, I, like the I, I think the biggest advice during recessionary times is figure out how to find as much work as you possibly can so you can invest whilst prices are down. By the time what happens to middle class is what happens by the time the markets are back up again and you feel like you're doing well at work or whatever it is, by that point, the markets are already up and you're already buying relatively high. And like, I think some stocks and things will probably like 2X or 3X by the time there's some kind of recovery, even a bear market recovery. And by then, like, you're buying the top again and you're going to get fucked again. This is what happens to everybody, like every time, unless there's a really long market growth cycle like we had this last, you know, 10 years, 15 years, where it's like from uh, 2010 to like 2000, uh, you know, 22 or whatever, or until the COVID crash, really, everything was kind of running amazing because they're printing money off the wazoo. Um, like a lot of people thought the market was going to crash eventually. No one could predict when exactly. And finally, of course, it did. And here we are now. But man, like a lot of people who are in stocks and everything else, like there, a lot of people are wrecked right now. Um, like even people with retirement accounts who need to um, exit, like my parents' generation who need to exit for like the stock market to, you know, live and go on vacations or whatever the hell they're going to do. They're going to be selling, right? So the market's going to stay down because of baby boomers selling. And then baby boomers aren't buying anything now because they're probably all retired and stuff. So, yeah, you have all these kind of like market dynamics happening right now that um, I suspect are going to keep things down until there's like some serious catalyst. This is why, like, from a catalyst standpoint, I'm, I watch things like quantum computing, AI, um, you know, the biotech industry and all the different interesting things that might emerge there. Um, and then, um, like, I, for example, I bought also like Dow Chemicals. Dow... Um, their stock now is a company that deals with advanced materials. So like making fancy, you know, like, I don't know, whatever materials they make, carbon fiber type things or whatever it is, nanotubes and whatever. Those kinds of things are really interesting. And so I bought some of their stock. 
as an example, but like advanced materials is an area that's going to be big. Another area is going to be f nuclear fusion. Um, so like Los Alamos labs, you know, were able to achieve nuclear fusion under plasma uh, with successful ignition and a positive ROI on investment as far as like energy and versus that's produced by fit fusion. So that's another big thing. So there's like four or five things that I think the Western world um, like is going to see um, as major increases in like either productivity or stuff to sell the rest of the world. Um, if you were to say like, well, are these things being produced in say, I don't know, Africa, or are they being produced in India? Are they being produced in China? Not nearly to the extent that they're being produced in the West. So some of these areas we are in fact ahead um, of significant parts of the world if you're in the West. And that does help um, like my optimism for like what the next 20 to 30 years might look like. Um, so yeah, like there's a lot of interesting um, I think catalysts, there's like four or five major ones. Each of them will have like its secular trend. But I think like if you look at the bubble that is crypto today or like the bubble that was crypto over the past, let's say, 10 years. Um, and by bubble, I mean that like um, as a good thing, like you want to see those like bubbles rise and fall. Um, the big secular bubble, I think the one thing in my mind that I think every human being on this planet is going to benefit from of all the different things I just mentioned, the thing that's going to be palpable consumer benefit is going to be AI. And like whoever monetizes that, whether it's the Googles, the Microsofts, whether it's whoever of the world, those companies are going to do extraordinarily well because I can tell you this, like, you know, like when Steve Jobs, you know, at Apple, you know, when he came up and said, well, um, all I need to sell a laser printer is take a piece of paper off the laser printer with some writing on it, show it to the audience to say, would you want to buy this? And they're like, yes. Mm, AI is very similar and that the consumer immediately understands the benefit of it. Even when smartphones came out, like Apple, iPhone 1, iPhone 2, mm, it took to like maybe iPhone 3 to really start taking off, right? 3 and 4, if I remember. Um, these products, like when they land in your hands, I think consumers really understand them at some level um, once they start using them. But I think with AI, the big difference is, is like most people have computers. Most people have Internet that have any money. So the money is going to flow um, to, to like go into these products. And it's really, really easy to tell how these things benefit like the end user. So to me, the secular obvious trend is AI. And one of the potentially bearish aspects for crypto would be, remember like over the last 10 years, besides smartphones, like how many big tech consumer sort of like mm, viral sort of like activities was taking place? Like, I don't know, maybe you guys remember some, but like the, the biggest one was smartphones. And obviously everyone was on those. And then of course, all the web two projects that came on there, which would be things like, I don't know, Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook and all these things became popular. Those are kind of like the real big secular trends, YouTube, of course, uh, Google search and everything else. Um, but I think uh, the next secular trend, the big bubble that's going to happen next almost certainly is AI. Like there's a stock with the stock AI. Um, they do some sort of AI related work. I don't even know what the fuck they do. Honestly, I bought some of the stock just because like um, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what it does, but I know every idiot in the world is going to buy this thing thinking it's like the the, the 
like a stock to invest in AI. <laughs> and, and I was right. Like the thing is up like 30% or something since I bought it because it had created with the rest of the market. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw some cash at this. It's a legit company, by the way. It's not, I don't know what they do exactly, but they have the AI ticker. And when the secular bubble for AI comes, it'll be the same as the Bitcoin bubble. Anything resembling anything with crypto went up when the, when the secular bubble came. I think the same will happen with AI related stuff. The problem is for the end user, like the, like Google and who has DeepMind, um, Tesla, who of course has self-driving car technologies they're working on. Um, all of these companies, the, those kinds of things are sort of priced in to some extent. And these are mega multi, you know, or nearly trillion dollar enterprises already in terms of market cap. Their growth potential for their stock or stocks may not be as aggressive as some of the small plays like in crypto. So that's the downside is a lot of the AI sort of like growth story. Um, like a lot of the investment that, um, like, uh, better future, I need to have those spaces with him, but he's, um, like a cosmos community member. And he and I have been talking a bit about like what he does in angel investing and how he deal like goes on angel list and buys things. But there's a lot of little like AI things that are happening on small scale that almost makes sense to take small amounts of money, like, and throw them into venture type, um, activities where you're in at the very, very beginning. I mean, even if you lose all of it, even if it goes to zero, the asymmetric bet in AI is going to be at the venture level. If you wait till it, these things become stocks or go on the crypto space or some other nonsense, like what happens is, is they pump to oblivion, like pump like crazy already. Then you and me are going to buy the top and it's going to go down 90%, right? That's yeah. the problem with IPOs today is that they're way overvalued to a large extent. And the retail investors get wrecked. I would point to Coinbase and Beyond Meat as perfect examples of these pump and dumps. If you think crypto is terrible, like <laughs> the stock market pump and dumps were like totally heinous, even yeah. even like. And uh, I think you're right with with sort of pointing out materials, Marcia, like a, a materials engineer. The, that technology is going to be one of the key components in developing everything. And my uncle in law is like a GM, like a major firm in South Korea. Um, and they're like supplying Samsung batteries and things like that. that. That technology in that space is going to grow. And it's always going to be a stable bet because the battery technology is going to be huge as we see Elon doing, but we yeah, hedge just, that. Remember, there's, there's things that are going to be huge, and there's things whose stock prices are already too high, right? Like, yeah, so, the, the, yeah, they are technology trends, <laughs> yeah, a technology trend can be true, but it still can be a shit investment, right? There's a big difference between buying early and buying late. And that's the big thing. I think the key with a lot of those things, um, any type of thing you're, you're getting involved with, like understanding whether you're getting a good value or a good price for what you're paying for, especially in the stock market and every and crypto and everything being wrecked right now. The reality is like you can, you should look at everything with a broad scope and say, wait a minute, everything's wrecked. Which of these things is wrecked the most? What can I get the best deal on? Um, is and which has got the most potential? <laughs> yeah, potential and is wrecked the most too, right? Like, so for example, if you look at Tesla, right? Good example would be Tesla. 
Um, I, I don't know what it's P, e to, P to E right now is, but I think it's like 35 or something along those lines, 35 to 40. It popped a little bit after I bought it. I think I'm up 20% of my Tesla stock, but whatever. The point is like when you buy Tesla, you're like, okay, well, they have some of the best AI tech in, in automotive uh, in terms of uh, the self-driving cars and they're working on robotics and they're working on Neuralink and all these things. Uh, you have like someone who's worked at SpaceX, essentially, you know, like, you know, you should never fade Elon, no matter how goofy he gets online. Only idiots do that. Like it may like to, to some extent, he's 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 pretty sharp. And in that sense, like um, you say, well, part of Tesla is a play on Elon. Part of it is a play on their AI tech. They're not just a car manufacturer. They have the broadest electrical um, like, you know, gr you know, they have the biggest electrical charging network of all of the um, car manufacturers. So you're paying for network effect or whatever. But their price to earnings ratio at 30 to 40 doesn't make sense. Think about this. Apple, when I think when Steve Jobs died, their PDE was like dropped to 15 or something silly. And as low as I think 10 or 12, I bought Apple at ridiculously low prices in the past. And um, it's, you know, it's gotten a lot, been a lot higher than that. But even Apple being one of the most successful companies in the world, the price to earnings have generally been lower than Google and a lot of other players out there. And yeah. uh, Tesla, however, has had pretty interesting like ideas long term and may execute on them. But if you buy the stock at a high PDE ratio, the company has to perform perfectly for you to do well as an investor. Like it has to fire on all cylinders, literally. Like if you look at, uh, take for example, um, Tesla when its price to earnings ratio is 1,500, 1,500. That was when Tesla was like max bubble. It was like, wait a minute, like what in the hell? Like who's, bu who's buying this still? Like what, like, what do you think is going to, like, what do you think they're going to produce that gets at a 1500 PDE ratio? Billions of cars? Like, what are you talking about here? So the, it was clearly a mega, like, stock bubble. And Elon was right to sell some of his Tesla stock, honestly. Um, like, you know, <laughs> it was just, like, obnoxiously overpriced. And um, it was a similar, like, the GameStop thing where, like, their stock price was just obnoxious and the company's going nowhere. Um, or AMC were the same sort of situation. It was sort of like a meme stock status. A um, lot of big tech does that to some extent. Like it has this like growth story where the, but the PDE ratio is like 45. It's something ridiculous. Crypto does the same thing, right? Like yeah. you'll see like, uh, like the total number of transactions on a certain crypto network or like 50 bucks, you know, but the, but the actual network is worth a million dollars or something. It just makes no sense at all. Um, so yeah, like these speculative types of things and network effect type things expect extraordinary volatility and expect to get wrecked as a default position. So that's why even in tech now, like with all of the different stocks I bought over the last month and a half, like I fully expect to have to double my buys on every single thing I bought um, if the price to drop another 20%. So I'm fully almost hoping for the stock market to dump another 20% to where I get all the juicy dividend stocks and everything and just kind of rake it all in. So that's why I'm saving all my earnings and I'm saving like I'm not deploying too much too quickly. There will be like there will be opportunities in the in the coming year or two, I think. And if I miss those, right? Like if I miss the existing players, I can watch very carefully for all these other technologies that are coming and find some good entry points um, into them. So and then there's also some good crypto projects coming too, which looks super interesting as well. And you know how those go. If you can get in relatively early, you do pretty well. Um, but like, I, I tend not to get into seed rounds and stuff in crypto. I've been offered a few types of things. I'm like, shit, like 
keeping track of all that business and getting into seed rounds and whatever is is a whole nother um it's a whole nother ball of wax basically like it's a whole nother angle in that but the plus side of that is usually if you're a seed investor in crypto you can usually see your investment 10x but then you have to dump on your friends which i'm not a fan of doing um and that kind of thing (laughs) like you know so uh it's not really like the, the behavior of a good community member to get a seed round fund investment and then go and dump on everybody. It kind of sucks. So I don't know. I, I tend to prefer until there's a big pump, there's a serious dump, a massive pullback, and then start getting into these things um, is kind of how I've been. Uh, I have I've, I do that with pretty much everything. Like, um, like I think, I'm trying to think. I, yeah, I haven't been burned by any major IPO. Um, like ever because of this, like I wait till the big pump is over, let things settle down and then buy the coins and whatever. Um, no, I take that back. I think I bought too much. <laughs> I bought Nexus protocol too high. Um, I think and I, that was one of the ones I should, shouldn't have touched, but it wasn't a lot of money. So it's whatever. But anyway, um, interesting. Yeah. I, I'm new to the market. So it's like my first cycle this time with Bitcoin. So it's learning. I've been more traditional. I've got my, own assets got my own house i've got i've got a plan laid out for the next 10 years um yeah if you're going to do the same thing what were you going to do <laughs> yeah well the, yeah bitcoin uh, plenty of ways that people got wrecked on bitcoin too by the way um a lot of people um buy too much get upset when it goes down and then sell on the way down because they think they're going to lose all their money. And then they believe all the FUD that says it's going to go to zero. And then, of course, they sell even lower. And then when it does go low, the FUD is at maximum. So then you're like, ooh, I don't know. Maybe it'll go even lower. So you don't buy any. <laughs> it goes from 3000 to 70000 You're like, oh, I missed it or whatever. This is a standard story every single time. Like, yeah. Every time the market is down, look how few Twitter spaces are going on. Look how many... People are talking about crypto. Look how many people are tweeting about it. Where's all the excitement? It's gone, right? So when the market's down, um, you just have to decide like what the good investments actually are and decide whether you want to hold on to some things or not. And That's what my friend told told me, actually, a while ago. The guy that got me into crypto, he is now, I think he's, I think he took out about 800,000 pounds, um, kept about 10 or 12 Bitcoin in, but it says, well, you, you don't listen to like the high point. So uh, even at the moment, I see the you're like fear and greed ratio hits like seventy percent. Why what's, do you pick seven, up at seventy percent on Ethereum? The uh, like the chart when it says fear and greed seventy percent, and everybody is buying. But no buyers at like twenty percent. Why? I don't get it. <laughs> oh, it's like like where in the market people buy and whatever. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's like the I can see the chart. It's like the fear, fear in grade ratio. You see it like seventy percent yeah, at the moment. And this is all pretty simple, I think. Like at the end of the day, um, like uh, you should never buy. Uh, People say things like you shouldn't buy more than you can lose. Okay, fine. That's fair. Um, But the reality is like if you thought that crypto is a perfect science and you had no chance of losing money, you're sort of like you're an idiot. 
you're sort of an idiot anyway. None of us believe that any of these things, including Bitcoin, necessarily are absolutely certain about anything, right? That's like, I don't believe that even of like blue chip stocks and stuff. I've seen major stocks go to zero, not infrequently, by the way. Uh, so yeah. like, you know, if you haven't seen that happen, of course, that'd be different. But like, I'm not in dissolution. I'm, I don't believe that. So ultimately, to me, it's like if I'm going to get something. So, for example, if I'm going to buy Adam today at 12 bucks and I have plenty of Adam from 12 bucks from before, then I should be prepared to get more if it's 10 or eight bucks or whatever. Right. If I don't have the money to buy it lower, that means I bought too much now. It's as simple as that. Like if I have a thousand bucks to spend. And, you know, like I spent all thousand of it, of it now and I have nothing else that I can get it lower then like, you know, either I should have dollar cost averaged or I should have done something. But it makes no sense when it's lower to get none and get all of it when it's high. So like yeah. if I'm going to buy Adam today, like let's say I buy a hundred bucks worth, then I'm going to really save enough money to buy like maybe, I don't know, let's say it goes to five bucks. I want to have at least five X that much at a lower price. But um, so if I buy a hundred bucks worth, the other 900 is ready for buying the rest of it. Um, something like that. So you can be very, very conservative with like the allocations and stuff. Even the stock market, like, like I started digging in like, you know, the last month and I started buying in s relatively small amounts. I got, I asked Twitter essentially, I asked Kutch and a bunch of other people. I'm like, uh, what stocks would you guys buy now? Maybe I'm, maybe you have some things you have your eye on that look like good dividends and good value. Um, like, what are you watching and what would you look at? And I, then I started just buying like a, one of each thing. And so like, once I had these on my watch, I didn't just put them on my watch list. I bought them. And the reason I went ahead and bought some is that way that like they show up on my portfolio. And if I look at my portfolio, then my, like my fidelity portfolio, for example, it'll give me the total gain loss. I just look at my total gain loss and like, so if my stock portfolio, if I'm up, my Coinbase was up like 25% in like a, like a month. I'm like, screw this, I'm out. So I sold Coinbase immediately uh, because it was up more than almost everything else in my portfolio. It's a, it was a kind of obnoxious pump sort of thing. So I got rid of it. And so I cashed out of that. And then the rest of my things, I'm all in the green still. But if some of them start going to the red, like something I like, like IBM or maybe um, Google or Microsoft or something like I just want a blue chip. I want to buy more of it. Then I'll just watch my total portfolio. And if it's in the red, I know I'm, I should be getting more and I have my cash ready. And that's what I'm going to do. That's what I do personally is, um, is just kind of like get a little bit of each thing. So it's on my watch list and I get a, I don't have to have like a chart and all that shit. All I have to have is basically something that shows me in the red, what my total position is. And then if my total position is down and it's down by a lot, at least five to, or really I wait for things to be at least 10% down even now, then I'll go ahead and grab some more um, to compensate. Sometimes I just top off. Pay let's, attention say to I have, let's say I have $10,000 of a position. I'm like, you know, I don't want to own anything more than 10,000 bucks worth of this stock. Then it goes down to 9,000 of value. I might just buy a thousand more. Like that might be a <laughs> strategy. On the other hand, like, some stocks I like I think are stupid. Like, I don't know, like Tesla, I'm like, it's way too overvalued still. You know, I might buy a thousand bucks of it, leave nine thousand in the wings. And that way, if it gets crushed to a PE ratio of 15 where it should be, then I'll deploy the rest in a, and when the price is at a prop appropriate level. So like, you know, so each each thing I do a little bit differently. Um, but um that just gives you like a little bit of a 
a bird's eye view of how to deal with something like this. Like right now, for example, with the crypto market down, if you have an exchange that allows you to do a simple DCA, um, you know, once the market's down 90%, it's not a bad time to just do a simple DCA. You don't even need to do like a dynamic DCA at that point. You just do a simple one and you just like let it buy every week or every day or something and you pick up whatever you feel like it. And, um, and that's a way to handle that too. Mm, so like once the market's already down, you don't have to be a freaking rocket scientist to figure out how to buy things. Like, you know, uh, that's where all of the money is made is when it's like, <clears throat> so when, especially when the media is completely crying in their, in their cup and everything else. And like <laughs> the whole world is like upset. That's when generally, um, the best deals in the world were, were the last 20, 30 years in uh, all the markets in real estate in, in, in just about everything very interesting so like yeah it's it's no, it, no it's been weird for real estate because it went down we uh, we've got real estate so it's like it went down but it's not down down and it doesn't quite meet the cycle so it always changes because it's like a driver <laughs> so we'll it's a weird thing com compared if you mark it up against crypto yeah yeah i don't i don't know what the um the yeah I, I i don't know how long like this recession and all of that will last like nobody ever really knows for sure and every time i try to guess it's like you know you end up being wrong i i always remind house, house prices are up in the uk <laughs> really that's funny it's mad um, yeah like, i think um yeah like the com commodities driving inflation and things like that could could lead to interesting dynamics but um, I always remind myself of the dot-com bubble um, that my family is pretty invested in the dot-com bubble stocks. Like my dad got into the FOMO and bought too much shit like, you know, like Sony and Microsoft and everything. Apple back in the, at the dot-com bubble time, those two years where the stock, the NASDAQ went absolutely berserk. And he got caught in the FOMO and, bu and bought a bunch of shit. And then his portfolio got wrecked, like, I don't remember, like 80% or something like that. And uh, he was really like, oh, shit, like, there went all our money. You know, like, I, I gambled on the stock market. And, and then he, he sold it low. Um, it took almost 10 years for the NASDAQ to return to prior high um, from that 2000.com crash. So I do remind people that like during these stock market crashes, if you're a retiree or something and you're like, oh yeah, the stock market's going to come back. It'll be back in a few years or whatever. That's not necessarily true. <laughs> like the stock market's going to crash and stay down for a decade or not necessarily down, but like get back to prior levels. So if you're like, where's my break even point? I'm down on something. Like you don't know how long that's going to take when the next so-called bull market's going to be and whatever. You have no idea, honestly. And um, um, like if, would I have guessed that the like at the time not knowing too much about stocks i was just a kid well, not a kid i was college <laughs> a college student and, and um uh actually i was a medical student at the time uh, and um what i you know i didn't know that much about it but like for a while we had got used to pde ratios that were really high and so like i got used to that being the normal metric and so when i saw like how low they could really go um, I, I think it's worth everyone's time to just go look at what the stock market looked like. Look at NASDAQ, just pull a chart of it and look at the dot-com crash after a big speculative bubble and see what happened. 
And then you get a better feeling for, oh, wait a minute, what was the price to earnings ratio of common brand name companies, like the really the best companies in the world yeah. at the time? The Cisco's, the Microsoft's, the Apple's, whatever, you name it. Look at what their price to earnings ratios did, and you will see the template for where your stocks are going today, where your crypto is going today. If we go into like a, like a deeper recession after a crash like this, after this big QE-funded mega bubble that was the world stock market um, so far. So like... Yeah, and even like when we go into recessionary periods, even commodities like things like gold and copper and everything that you think won't go down, sometimes go down anyway because like nobody has money to buy anything, and um, like you know you wind up with like just everything dropping. So just something to kind of watch for. But it's worth kind of looking at that dot com crash as a good like instruction as to what could happen to. Um, um, you know, what can happen and how long it takes. Even if you bought stocks today, you shouldn't be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to put my life savings in today because the stock market's down. The reason why that's, that can be problematic, even though you could do really well, the reason why is because you don't know that there's not further downside. That further downside could be another 50% from now, right? For the NASDAQ or the Dow or who the hell knows what. And if that were to occur, you are basically left holding the bag until the market recovers and the dot-com bubble nasdaq crash from high to bottom to high again it took about 10 years now if you bought the dot-com crash after like an 80 percent dump and you bought apple and things like that like i did when i was a you know when i was a resident then the difference is is that you could ride down some further downside because you've already handled most of the initial downside and when the market recovers you are much more likely to like be back in the green again with a relatively short period of time. But if you bought the top of the dot-com bubble in 2000 or 1999 or whatever the hell that was, then what would have happened is, is that you would have like had to take 10 years to get your money back. It almost like if you bought Bitcoin in Christmas of, or uh, September, I'm sorry, November of 2017 at that Bitcoin bubble peak, then it would have taken to go back to 20K, which is like, what, 2000 or 2001 or whatever it was, to have gotten your money back to break even, right? That's the problem. So being a bag holder for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years in the stock market is very much a thing um, if you buy at the wrong time. And I know for sure there's people that bought Tesla stock at fucking 1500 PDE ratio because you can see them crying on Twitter about it and having holding, holding Twitter spaces. So like, if you think that people didn't get wrecked outside of crypto, um, think again. A lot of people got wrecked in everything. And um, there's always someone buying the top, um, like in these bubbles or whatever. And those people are going to be scratching their head wondering when their, their money is going to come back to them. And like for Tesla to get to the point where it's at a 1500 PDE ratio like level again, oh my God, like, you know, Tesla would have to be quite literally like uh, 10 to 100 exercise of the company it is today for the stock price to be ever been worth that much, right? This is the problem. So you, yeah, sure, if Tesla 10x is in terms of company size, yeah, the stock might go another 10x. Or like if something really important happens, like AI for Tesla does really, really well, and their robots and their cars and all this shit like self-drive properly, and like that changes the world, then yeah, you could do really, really well. And maybe even the like the high estimates aren't high enough. Like if you look at Apple today, um, did I believe that Apple was going to be what it is today when I was buying Apple stock in the 2000 timeframe before the iPhone? Hell no. 
like that's just pure luck right like that's like apple doing well is like easy to say after the fact and people say oh well you know elon is not like steve jobs or whatever no steve jobs wasn't like steve jobs back in those days nobody believed in the guy and nobody like very few people believed apple was going to be anything yet here i am on on apple phones today and some of the coolest they produce some of the coolest computers on the planet did i think that was the case back in 2000 hell no like you know like nobody thought this in 2000 that apple was going to be where it is now necessarily uh, maybe maybe steve jobs did um, but not a lot of other people outside of like an inner circle necessarily believe that uh, Apple was going to change the world. And it clearly did. Right. So like, is Tesla going to do that? Is Bitcoin going to do that? Is whatever going to do this? It's all there's a speculative aspect, even with good tech um, of whether or not those things are going to make a material impact on the world and become mega, mega big like growth projects. So that's the thing to be aware of, like in a down market, like, you know, if all else being equal, pick stuff with PDE ratios that have largely been crushed. The growth has been priced out of the market and you can find some super low discounts. You don't have to buy very much because at those low, low, low prices, like, you know, you don't need to be mega wealthy to do well. Like as a medical resident um, back in like 2000, I made almost no money. I think I've made like maybe a dollar an hour if you looked at how many hours I was working uh, compared to how much money I had. And even then, like I... I didn't live very big. Like I didn't really spend very much money I had in my little apartment or whatever. Um, I had my shitty little car and I would save away in my Roth IRA and I would save away in like little stocks and things from time to time. Um, making like, I don't know. I think I made like, I think my income was like 30, you think like maybe it was like, maybe like 38,000 to 40,000 a year, I think was around 2000 when I was an, when I was an intern, basically. Uh, making basically nothing like, you know, so I'd just kind of eat basic things. I wasn't married at the time. <laughs> I was just square away. I would just pile away money as time went on and buy things. Um, and you know, I made a few mistakes. I made some big winners though, early on. Like I remember when I was a fellow, I bought Sirius satellite radio and it was like, I don't know, a dollar or something like that. And then it went to $7 suddenly when on the speculative hype, cause Howard Stern got signed on to Sirius like you guys probably remember like Howard Stern and everything anyway, but like I bought the stock and it, it seven X or something like that. I or, or three X or something from my purchase price, whatever it was. And I sold it. And then I took that and I bought like more, I think, what did I buy? Like Apple or I bought um, some other things that doubled and tripled a few times. So I kind of gambled my very, very early um, money, like multiple times on things that two X and three X and then just kept doing that over and over again to build sort of my, um, sort of portfolio. So some of that was just like rampant, um, speculation. Cause I was like, you know, it was my first job. I didn't make much money anyway. It wasn't huge amounts. And I was like, um, how old was I? Maybe like 23 at the time or something like that. I was relatively young and, and, um, I had a long career in life ahead of me. So I was like much more aggressive with my portfolio so pretty much any tech that i understood i wouldn't bought it like you know grabbed a little bit here and there and uh, did that over and over and over again over many years now so yeah it's like like these bubbles and crashes are like uh they happen all the time like well not all the time but you but, like, they happen frequently over your lifetime hmm? if you if you're going to go back and from what be, what you've learned what would be the, like the main key point because yeah, if I, if I were to go back, the, the one mistake, like after I got married, the mistake I made was buying cars. That would be my biggest mistake. If I had simply taken the money that I bought my first two cars uh, with after I got married, 
we just went and bought new cars just because we could. Like, um, I, I was making enough money. I went and found a moonlighting job. Was making a little bit extra, and um, instead of like saving that, I bought like my wife a car, myself a car. I think it was like around seventy k worth of cars or eighty k worth of cars yeah. at the time, which which was a lot then. Uh, well, it was a lot for how much we made at the time, and um, I knew I was going to be like doing well because as a physician, I was going to make more money as time went on. So I wasn't too too worried about it. And my parents had money, my in laws had money. It wasn't like broke or some shit. Like there's no by any stretch of the imagination, we were going to be fine. So we had plenty of social safety net in a sense. And like, so I, I, like we bought these cars going back though, had I simply taken that in those years. Um, and I just tossed all of that also into just buying like the crushed, like NASDAQ stock market at the time, we would have like, um, like we would have hundred X that value like truly a hundred X, like so $80,000 worth of cars would have been worth 8 million instead or something like that now. Um, even after this crash. So like, you know, it's like obnoxious amounts of money. So like when you're young, the key is that like the, the, the level to which you can gamble, um, when you're younger is much, much higher and, um, not just gamble, but like the amount you can invest in, like put into things that are very high potential growth long-term or very, um, the opportunity is super high at that time. So, if I have then, children, like, it's uh, K <laughs> At the same time, yeah, like, like here's the thing: I don't have to be necessarily wealthy to do well because I made sure my um, kids are like super, super smart, right? So, like, mm, the key there is like my older son could like, you know, easily support us one day with his intellect, with the income potential he has. Even if I were to go completely broke and everything goes to zero, like invest in your children and um, hopefully they'll take care of you. Like, you know, that's a good general rule as well. Um, I think uh, at least in, in our family, we don't, it's not like, oh, the kids are older, go do your own thing. No, it's like, you know, m m you know, like we tend to take care of our parents. We our, we expect our kids to take care of us. Um, you, you like having that social security safety net of your own family is super important. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think completely that's a good agree. Rule. That's a general rule. Like if you have people you can rely upon within your own family, that's a good, um, it, it's, it's a good place to be, I think. And, and it creates like a sense of, um, like you have less things to fear about and worry about as you get older and things like that too. If you have people that are there to take care of you potentially. Um, so yeah, like I make sure that, um, I'm saving for my kids' futures. I make sure I pay for all their education. I'm making sure that they're debt free, like, you know, as they go into the workplace or whatever. And then like whatever, like mistakes I might've made in my life or whatever, like I don't need to go back to, you know, you know, 2000 and like, you know, like wish I bought something else instead of cars at the time. What I can do is like, I can just make sure that with my money, I'm investing my, for my kids' future the same way I would have invested for mine had I been there. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Like my and dad you, had very little. You need to sort of teach these lessons along the way as well. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much the same as you. I've got a five-year-old. I've got a two-year-old. So, but I've also got a lot of generational wealth that's going to come come with it. So planning, planning the way is, for me, it's like, 
I know what's going to come. I, I can plan what's going to come. I can say a million quid or I can say two million pounds or I can say three is an investment. I, I'm, I, I'm never going to worry about money, but some people will. And some people won't make the investment and some people can make the investment. So what's your advice to build your generational wealth in a way? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of work and I do my regular uh, job and things. Um, what is your regular mind. job, by the way, Seth? I've never asked. <laughs> um, I, I do pulmonary critical care medicine, so I'm a physician normally. Um, so okay. I, I do that. Like, I, I, I'm a, I'm a BI technical specialist. So. <laughs> yeah, cool. The, the, I'll plan on doing my work regardless of like um, the rest of fun. the financial world around me. Um, just because like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a fulfilling job. It works, you know, that's all great and everything. But the other thing too, is like, mm, to me, I feel more comfortable with the idea that I always have an income and then that I'm not relying necessarily upon my savings or stock markets or Bitcoin or whatever, you know, whatever to do well in order for me to yeah. be successful. And I feel like maybe that's just like, mm, like, you know how some people, they get on the internet and they act, you know, like, well, like I made it and I've got this Lamborghini or whatever. And I, you know, like, oh, I'm going to post pictures on, on like on my vacations and stuff and pretty places and shit and LARP on the internet or whatever. People can do that. That's fine. But I don't, I feel more comfortable and more secure having both my assets and investments and also having a constant, uh, like, you know, constant, uh, uh, flow of income that comes from doing a job that I know that uh, that I'm needed in, and that like there's plenty of people that pay me tons of money anywhere in the world to do. Like I could go yeah. truly anywhere in the world with my my particular yeah, career. I, I, I get the feeling. Yeah, there's, there's no country on this planet that they wouldn't pay me money to go and like work. So that's kind of cool. So I've made myself like indispensable in a sense, and that is a sort of a good structurally it's a good place to be um, and it's mentally like sound that like you know you're secure financially and, and everything else because so long as i um you know have the will to work like i'll be okay no matter whatever what else happens to my investments or whatever and even if i lost everything like i literally lost everything you put me on the street today i will be reasonably wealthy by most people's standards within one year anywhere in the world like it wouldn't take long at all so i could lose every single penny and i'll be richer than most of you in like a year like and I'm, that's not like just like joking around that's well maybe not how me quickly but that would happen. people <laughs> it's like, that's the thing like but that didn't come by accident i've been working on this since i was no. a kid like, so i've been working on my skill set from the from like very very early on um and you know so like when like for example when apple came out with like the apple 2e computer and ibm i'm sorry um yeah ibm and then the subsequent clones came out with Intel-based chips, the 8086s. Like, I yep. was the kid playing, sitting in the school computer lab. Nobody else is in there. And I spent the whole day in there instead of going to actual classes, playing around on the computer. And the teacher's like, fuck it. He's learning something. Let him do it. Someone's using those things, at least. And I was learning. I how, like you very much. Definitely. I was learning how to do those things when I was in second grade and first grade and stuff when everyone else wasn't doing those things, right? So, uh, you know, so the fact that I have like a lot of sort of like technical knowledge about lots of things from an early age is by because like, you know, I was attracted to that and I put in the work and that's why that's the case. Right. It wasn't by ch pure chance, you know, yeah, although it's because you do it. It's, it's um, curiosity and 
to believe yeah, like to I'm, learn. I'm fortunate i'm fortunate that i have that like that curiosity and that will that i do like I, obviously it's genetics or some shit but like you know what i mean like i'm fortunate that that was the case and that I, i'm fortunate to have been born where i was and had access to the things that i did at the age that i did so yeah none of it's like so a lot of there that is chance like not everyone gets those opportunities but no i was yeah. lucky as well yeah we um we had a pub so we we had a family member who owned a computer firm and he sourced out with computer tech and he got me my first first computer 486 dx basically oh, yeah. doom onto it <laughs> i had the one before the dx like you know i had the 286 no i had the i had the 8086 the very first uh, intel chips right like the, you, the, you're showing you're showing your age now so that's hilarious yeah. Yeah. i had like fucking texas instruments calculators or whatever so yeah for sure you have to download all the drive take all the drives off to go to play <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hey MP3, what you doing, man? You've been staying busy, driving. Yo, it out. brother. Yeah, man, dude. Oh my god, last night was fucking crazy, bro. I I saw dead bodies in the middle of the street, man. Fucking forensics. I'm not joking, man. Oh. Colorado, Colorado had the worst uh, blizzard the highway patrol's ever seen, bro. Uh, over over a hundred semi trucks, like fucking just tipped over and like. I, this I is last saw, week. This is yesterday. I saw a fucking oh, yesterday. yesterday. Dude, I got into two accidents yesterday. Uh, one, one on the highway, and then one uh, at the, at the uh, truck stop because there was over 500 fucking semi trucks stuck at this truck stop because they ended up closing up the roads on. But you, uh, you got into an accident, or you were just yeah. stuck in stuck inside? No, no, I got in an accident, and, uh, oh, along along with a hundred other semi trucks, dude. It was nuts. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Put up more <laughs> Colorado blizzards. Huh? Yeah, dude, it, it was a whiteout. So basically, it was like a flash whiteout, like a big gust of wind came. Yeah, I've been in, I've been in some Colorado whiteouts. They're brutal, man. Like, I, like, yeah, you don't feel good about driving that shit at all. But dude, man, I saw some dead bodies in the street last or like this morning from last night. Um, being picked up into an ambulance, fucking with a blanket over them, and and um, I also saw forensics out there. There was a I saw a fucking trailer cut in half. I've never seen this shit in my life, dude. It's only my third month being a trucker, dude. I'm starting to have second guess or second thoughts. <laughs> yeah, like, but other than that, man. Go slow I, in that weather. But, Super yeah, no slow. Shit. Yeah, and, uh, but other than that, man, how you how are you guys enjoying this bull trap? Uh, pretty good. Like, yeah, I, I, that's what I was saying earlier. I bought like some of these different things at the bottom, literally. So I've been watching it. I've been debating whether I wanted to sell some of it or not, but I was, I, I think we'll be on, I think we'll be on a slow and steady rise until late April, mid April. Uh, because in May, it traditionally May, they go away with stocks and crypto. And then also, uh, the war in Russia will continue. After the mud, after the mud goes away in Ukraine, what the fuck is in the background? What am I hearing? <laughs> that is the craziest thing. What is can, you, can you mute him? I can't even hear myself think. I'm like a dog or something. <laughs> My dogs. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I got a I got a high def headset on, and I'm hearing all of it. Um, dude. Um, yeah, the war in Russia will continue uh, in Ukraine. Uh, the mud, the mud season will go away, and and expected in May. They will continue a fight, and I think that's going to drive FUD through the markets tremendously. 
especially in crypto. And in May, of course, tax season, and that's why in May they go away. So I think this is just a, a, a nice seasonal fair pump that we'll have for another three months, um, maybe even sooner. I, I got a lot of guys. Yeah, I, that I just started buying. Month. I just started buying like stocks like a month, um, about a m- month and a month and a half ago. So Good I'm up like I'm like yeah. up ten to twenty five percent depending what I bought. Are you leveraging and, that or no? No, just straight up like just straight stocks. Okay. And so I'm bad. debating. I was debating like whether I should. You know, I sold Coinbase because the thing freaking pumped twenty five percent. I'm like, I'm out of this Holy nonsense. Fuck. I just got it just for the hell of it. But I'm like twenty five percent in a few weeks, I'm out. So like I got out of that. And then now the rest of the market though, I'm like, eh, do I just want to like uh hold on to these things, earn the dividends, whatever, and then just simply like buy more if it goes down, or am I, I gonna know. sell and I don't know why you fuck with stocks when crypto's so much easier. I mean, it's just so much more money um, well, than crypto. No, that's true. But this this the stock market is also wrecked like royally. So yeah, there's discounts everywhere. There's discounts everywhere. And yeah, so like some of the way. ones with really high, like five to nine to ten percent dividends, you know, that are also wrecked. Like I'm ahead on my Petro Brazil stock by like, you know, fifteen percent, but I'm also making nine percent I got it at a nine percent dividend rate at the price that I bought the stocks. That's really good. So it just depends on um, so I, like yeah, what you want to diversify into and everything. Sorry. You're cut now. What's up? I'm I, I thought you were done talking. You're cut now. It's my fault. Uh, I too. I think I it's your. Point, yeah, you're. You're. Yeah, out. I'm. I'm. I'm in the middle of Nebraska right now. Fucking a. Okay. Uh, I. I two point five x on Solana. I got like fucking. Oh, nice. Two hundred. Yeah, I had two hundred Solana. Two. Uh, and I put a lot of it into Bunk, which nine xed. I thought. Yeah, amazing. you mentioned I, that. You were on yeah. Spaces that day. You're like, are you buying this thing? And I was like, I don't know. What are you talking I about? You, I wanted you to look into it because it. it doubled up again like right after i got done talking to you it at 2x again right okay. but then it, it... but right after that it dumped so like if you were to bought when i mentioned it to you it you would have been on half your bag did you exit this thing or what oh yeah oh yeah dude i took fucking lots of profit i put into i put into elron uh e-gold which is now multiverse mm-hmm. x and that's gone up 40 right. percent since i bought it so dude i've had a, an amazing start of the year uh, with crypto and i de- i'm whole i'm just holding on to profits now i already pulled out my original um i plan on dumping a lot more fiat into the market here in july and june i think it's a smart play i think there's going to be a big crash in crypto once some fud comes out with the war in russia especially and and then also taxis so well, there's also after- dc there's also dcg and all that drama right so right um, but i'm not even all- talking about that yeah i i really think i really think if you if you're afraid to buy crypto right now, wait till a big dump. I think a big dump is going to happen in May. And I think a good time, a good entry for crypto for, for the next three years, right? You buy and hold for three years. <laughs> this all to I, me I, looks like, this all looks like the, the um, so like in 2018, Bitcoin, you know, did its slow grind down from like whatever it was, like eight, 20 to 18K all the way down to like, you know, 6K or something, it dragged and dragged. Yeah, and then in 2019, okay. this yeah. big capitulation out of 3,000 or whatever. Like, it feels like that situation where it's like um, each sort of like little jump, you're like, oh, it's going to it's gonna go up again and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and no, and then it, right. like, then you buy in a bunch at 6K and then it goes to 3K, right? So it's, yeah. um, I think that type of thing feels probable. Um, and it also feels probable because the general market shit, right? 
So when the general market is crap, a double or triple bottom in any market is just normal. Like retesting the, um, like, yeah, like retesting lows a second time is just such a high probability thing and, or three times even like a triple well, bottom. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll, I'll end my market statement with this though. Um, I think a good three year hold in crypto will be the start of June or July of this year. And, uh, I would average in, you know, just every month, but in more also, uh, in 2014 in the summer, I think, or in the spring of 2024, uh, I said 2014, 2024, uh, the banks will now be putting 2% of their revenue into Bitcoin. They're, they're voting on it. And of course, they're going to vote yes. Why wouldn't they? Um, that's just my take. But yeah, 2% of their revenue of, of, of national banks will be diversifying into crypto now. Interesting. Yeah, I think I saw a little bit of that. Um, I'm not sure like how big that those portfolios are that we're talking about exactly and how long that will have an effect on like the market prices and everything else. But yeah, well, Fidelity um, is still uh, doesn't have any like, so Fidelity basically is still in the doing the crypto thing. And of course they're a massive player and um, they've been involved for quite a few years. I think going back, like I think they're mining originally as an experiment all the way back in like 2017, 2016. It's been a while. So, you know, if Fidelity is not leaving, then probably there's no reason to go anywhere. Right. Cause like Fidelity customers have a huge amount of assets. Um, like they have like, I don't remember how many, Know, trillions under management or whatever, but it's a lot. And um, so I think that's a good like um, sort of bellwether. If you feel like Fidelity is running away because they don't like crypto for some reason, then you know we're in trouble. But uh, assuming that they maintain, I think we're okay. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but yeah, like um, I'm trying to think, yeah. But yeah, when is the right time? I'm not sure. It's probably one of those things where like well, you, you, could well, aside, like, you could set aside like you could set aside one pile of money to DCA. And then you could set aside another pile of money for a capitulation event, right? So, like, if you use half of it and start DCAing, the other half you only deploy it as a dump. Otherwise, leave it in cash. Something like well, that. There's a, I mean, you know about the four-year cycles, right? So, if you know about the four-year cycles, it, it has yeah, not been wrong yet. We could right. I mean, it it it, it but inflation and being it fixed, depends. I don't know. Yeah, it's it it depends too on uh, like the number one thing that the 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 that does to the system is one it of course affects mining cost immediately and that affects like the uh supply obviously um but yeah, the other thing another, that's another the other thing, thing it affects uh, is the, the, mining, it's the meme the effect the halving is happening in 2024 of, of yeah. march i think as well it should be so around now exactly so the meme effect is actually just as important as any kind of like direct um you know, effect that the monetary policy has on the the supply and the demand and everything, right? So that's an interesting part of it too. Like, as soon as happening starts to come, everyone starts ginning up an audience, and everyone starts getting excited and starts claiming like, you know, the coming of Jesus is coming, and like, you know, then you have another big pump. So I think, yeah, it, the a happening related pump. Um, you know, will you have a full bull market like you did this time necessarily? I don't know about that necessarily because here's the thing: when you know that uh everyone else is going to sell then there's a tendency for like you know people to take profit earlier and then you don't get as big of a uh, a mega pump as you once did so compression like uh like 
what's the right terminology, like compression of the speculative gains happens as the market matures over time as well. So like the ROI on this, you know, each subsequent year or each cycle tends to be smaller and smaller unless you're in altcoins or you're in something really small cap and you could still get like massive changes. Like the fact that like, look at stupid coins like that don't do anything um, like, I don't know, EOS and Litecoin or almost anything, right? Like if you look at from the bottom to top, Almost everything had mega pumps. Ooh, I've been hearing um, like bullish. I've been hearing a lot of bullish stuff about Litecoin, which I was surprised to hear. But yeah, I told you guys, right? Like I like Litecoin is a pretty good um, network still, like in the sense that it's proof of work and like um, it also, has proof of work dynamics. Yeah, and having now if you mine Litecoin, you also mine Doge at the same time. It's one for one. Yep, yep. You mentioned that before. I think you were talking about that person. Like, yeah, you can do a Doge. Litecoin, they're almost like uh, sort of the same network in some extent because like people are co-mining them together. Yep, very interesting. Um, oh, hey, Mike, uh, what you up to? Sorry to ignore you there. What? No, no, no problem, guys. Just, I saw Luna and I was like, oh, here we go. But <laughs> one of those. We, we've been talking about a little bit of everything. Yeah, I've I've just I'm, I'm a listener. I actually ran a space this morning. If anybody caught it, but um. Yeah, man, I, I, I agree with everything that everyone's saying. I think one of the things is, is an investor and somebody that's been around financial markets for a long time. And, and I, I'm still an analyst. I, I agree with Sefi that don't quit your day job just because all these traders, they're saying they're making a bunch of money. The best income is always going to be your job. And I think if, if you decide to make the leap to be in crypto and you want to do full time crypto, that's great. You know, but. I think a lot of people just, I think in 2022, I think we saw conditions for 2021 and 2020, the market's never done anything like that. It's a crisis that we've never experienced. Money was printed out of thin air. I mean, you can compare it to 2008 compared to 2000, but for somebody that's been a financial market for 20 plus years, it's just one of those events that I don't think will ever happen again. You know, obviously past performance can't predict future results, but I think what these prices that we saw and these altcoins and they Bitcoin and a lot of this vaporware is, and even in stocks too. I mean, I'm an analyst. I see this stuff all the time. There's some good buys like Sebi saying around the board. And I don't think a lot of these companies were able to really weather the storm as well as they thought they would when rates are five, 6%. So I kind of decide with MP3 a little bit. I'm a little more cautiously optimistic. You know, I think the war in Ukraine, it's probably going to go on, on a lot longer than people think it will. Um, the markets are going to be, you know, reacting pretty heavily to layoffs in February and March. But I think crypto has an interesting catalyst, especially Adam and Luna now. You know, I work directly with the Comdex team and what they're building, you know, the syndicate hub, if anybody wants to check it out. Kind of a voter escrow service for the IBC, which is pretty new. Um, but uh, I think one of the things that the IBC really presents value to the whole entire crypto ecosystem is interoperability. And I think that's one thing that in crypto, it's been really struggling with these bridge hacks, you know, Synapse and um, multi-chain and all these thrown in. I mean, I, you can name five off the top of your head. You know, that doesn't happen in traditional markets. You may you, you have your occasional, you know, made off <laughs> that embezzles 60 billion. <laughs> but, um, you know, in traditional markets, it's going to be tough to get these people to get their feet wet and this stuff, and this stuff keeps happening. And, you know, you have the IBC with the, you know, I was a Luna investor. I was a lunatic. I thought it was never going to fail, and I got burned like everybody else. So you saw what happened with Luna once it collapsed. You know, the IBC ended up being okay. And that's honestly when I kind of got on board and said, you know what, you know, I'm, 
a financial analyst. I know a lot about financial markets. I think, you know, this stuff's really, really cool. Put some boots on the ground and make sure, you know, I'm, I'm doing the best interests of what I obviously have the project, best interests of the, the users and the platform. And I think that's a, a, a loud voice in the IBC. I think Luno was probably the one of the only communities that's really about the community. You know, you have these egregious protocols and Ethereum L1 and L2 that just are there from Uniswap. I mean, how many Uniswap forks do we see? How many, you know, Ave forks where they're on Phantom and Polygon? I mean, can I, can, I interrupt, Mike? can I interrupt, Mike? Can I interrupt before you go on, Mike? Go uh, all go right. Ahead. So, yeah, deck swaps are becoming super, super popular right now because of F FTX collapse, right? So, like, uh, you know, a decentralized finance is definitely going to take an up. And there's a lot of DEX tools coming out. And I really like using these new DEX tools that allow for multi-chain swaps uh, up to 12 chains now. And so, like, uh, companies like Cam or PancakeSwap and Uniswap that are only for one chain, I see them either, you know, they're, they're going to either have to evolve or they're going to die out uh, because they're only on one chain. Um, and the fees are just so high compared to these decentralized ones. Even though Uniswap is decentralized, don't get me wrong. Um, also, you mentioned something else that bothers me. <laughs> decentralized. You, oh, you, oh, yeah. is controlled by venture capital. And there's yeah, no but it's not, yeah, 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 right. Okay, go ahead. But, oh, uh, I, yeah. you mentioned, I don't know yeah, what the, you said. I said a lot the, of shit. The second thing I wanted to troll you on, though, and I hope you take this as a buddy, the buddy thing, not as like me poking at you. But, um, dude, if you're so good in crypto or into finance in general, why didn't you get out before the four year cycle ended in like 2021 at the end of 2021? Like most crypto traders <laughs> did. You know what? Like, I'm a buy and hold investor. I'm a buy and hold uh, investor, man. I'm yeah. a day to day guy. You know, my day. So here's, here's one of the things I will. Shoot my own horn at you know, and I, I I'm I'm a hard critical myself. I've gotten burned by Luna. I got burned in Phantom with Andre left. I'm I'm the world's biggest worst investor that you can come to mind. But one thing I will say, and has treated me well for 20 plus years, time in the market beats time in the market. And you're either a trader or an investor. You can't be both. So you know it's great to to make the 200 X's and this and that. And you know. You probably are better than majority of people, but majority of people, when they make money, they don't know how, what to do with it, so they end up losing it all. So they might make, you know, a 200x on an altcoin, and then they'll try to roll it again, and they roll, ended up losing it all. So I don't like to play those games. You know, I'm I'm more of a traditional investor, buy and hold dividend. You know, I would point, I would point out that um, on the way up, uh, one thing is like, it's easy in the retrospective scope to say like this is the top of the market or something like that, but um, it's not necessarily obvious during the actual market play. And the reason I'll like point that out, like look at Bitcoin doing essentially um, a double top. Um, many assets like BTC, when they go and retest um, a new high, um, double tops uh, in that type of um, sort of like speculative market are not that common. Like it would have been more common to say like have, BTC pass its prior high and keep going up and hit anywhere from 100 to 150K, judging by like what a lot of people like predicted where we should be by now with BTC. Um, and instead, things went the other way. So cyclically speaking, I would say like that double top, I think, fooled um, a lot of people. And that's why a lot of people were not able to time that as well as you know you might have thought. 
And there's a lot of people that what are you the talking first about top, a double top's the best sign to get the fuck out. What you, no, what but what I'm saying about? is you you didn't know it was a double top <laughs> until it's in the rear view mirror, though. I don't know any of this terminology, man. I I I, I like I again. I'm an investor, not a trader. I think MP3's probably got a bigger, better P&L than I do. But uh, it's, I, I no, but agree. You see, but MP3, but you see what I'm saying, though, like in the retrospective. I, I get after, I get what you're trying to say. But look, I mean, just crypto, yeah. crypto repeats itself. It, it, it's the easiest thing to trade. I, I really think, and I trade by four years, right? In this case, I'm trading, I'm trading a seasonal. I'm not like, I'm not a heavy trader. I don't swing trade all the time. But I, I followed the hype. And the biggest, the best advice I've ever been given was in a Satoshi Street at Telegram group in 20, 2019. This guy told me straight up, he's like, I'm a crypto millionaire. I was like, well, how the fuck do you do it? He's like, follow the fucking trends. The trends are, it's, it's Bitcoin, then big altcoins, and then shitcoins. And now we're adding NFTs to that play. So when the whole fucking, after the shitcoins are wiped out, then the NFT market pops up. So just follow these trends and follow the hype behind the, just don't get in too late, you know, like, like, yeah, the although I would Go say, ahead. you know how many, you know how many people bought Bitcoin when I did, when it was, when it dropped to 3000 once and then to 3,500 to so the last, let's say the five years, nobody, uh, <laughs> a small fucking handful of people. So the reality is, is that like a lot of people say they're going to trade this and trade that, but. Are you sure that BTC 16K wasn't the bottom? The reality is you're not 100% sure. No, so I, I bought it 16K. I was guessing 11.5. I've been saying 11.5 since 2021 in December. So the difference is I bought it like 15 to 16K or 16 to 20K already. So if the market goes up and it double bottoms that level and whatever it does, it doesn't get down to 12K, then I win and you lose. If the market goes down to, let's say, um, 12K again, let's just take, for example, or even 9K, so it like crushes the like even number of 10K and whatever. Um, let's say it does that. I still win because like I just buy more, right? So like, it doesn't make a difference what happens. I always win because mathematically I can't lose. So like there's a, it's simpler doing that than trying to time the exact bottom, which is going to be very difficult. I remember when, by the way, um, when the market was like BTC last time was at like um, uh, 3K and I was on like stock twits and I'm like, yeah, guys, uh, enjoy yourself. But like, it's like 3,500 bucks, I think. And I was like, but I'm just buying a lot of Bitcoin now. And like almost nobody's buying anything. It's like pure panic. And then, of course, the market corrects to 6,000 like within, you know, within months or whatever. And it was really quick. But the point is like the number of people that were claiming there. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm buying right now. There's very, very few like so the number of people that actually do this market timing shit and actually get out ahead are very few. I just have to say, like <laughs> having watched this a long time, most people get wrecked time in the market. Most. I would say 90 percent are wrecked. Yeah, I would um, say around I would say around 80 for oh. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say I would bet I 90 are un, like are not making any money. That's my bet. <laughs> like That's my theory. Can I? Can you hear me? I feel like my mic's all over the place. Yeah, it's you're like, good. You're good. Okay. Well, I was I was gonna say to add to that. I just think we're in a different space, man. I just you know back in 2017 it was vaporware. Like you had Uniswap swapping shitcoins. You have actual applications that are trying to di basically interrupt all everything that the financial markets have built. So you know you have DEXs and you have order books and now you have 
you know, automated market making that is basically blowing out any market maker job on a broker floor. I mean, that's going to be disruptive. So I just, and then you have money markets that don't have any employees. I just think we're in a different environment than we were, I feel like in 2019, 2020, even DeFi summer. So I yeah, do there, agree. With a there's, a, stuff there's a much better like proof of concept now compared to then. In oh, for sense. sure. And a lot of these will probably go to zero, but I mean, I think there's, know, Adam, but there was also with that a proof of just like general mass wreckage for the general like retail public who was involved with centralized exchanges and all sorts of different brokerage products. So like, yeah, there was, there's all sorts of like pain to go around, whether that's a net positive or that will, the max pain event is kind of drag out the bear market even more as like a lot of people are like gun shy to get back in. That's going to be, uh, that remains to be seen basically. But I would remind everybody, I've been through this rodeo a long fucking time and the NASDAQ, which includes big names like Apple and, you know, like Microsoft and all these type of things from peak to trough to peak again from 2000, that was a 10 year cycle. And by the way, no one said like, okay, PCs are not going to be a big thing. Like we all use computers today. That didn't mean that you didn't have a 10 year shit cycle that lasted a long time. So like that's the warning. Uh, the euphoria is easy to get into and assume a four year cycle is going to persist. There is no guarantee of that necessarily before everyone goes nuts and throws all their life savings into whatever. So like I, I, I go having been through this with tech, like in numerous major cycles, the biggest cycle being, I would say, the like way bigger cycle, by the way, than crypto dramatically bigger dot was com. the, the PC cycle. No, no, the super cycle that is the 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 home computer right like okay. the the likes of microsoft intel apple and then of course the smartphone cycle which came after that both of which i was involved with like ah, those had old. major retracements and you know they had their share of their bear markets is my point but they last sometimes a lot longer than you think regardless of how interesting the fundamentals look and that's really important to sort of like realize you can't plan your life around like well I'm going to plan to do X, Y, and Z for four years because I know the crypto market's going to be doing amazing by then. And therefore everything will be fine. And like, Septi, are you talking to me directly? Because you know what I'm anybody. doing. No, I'm talking about anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 like, swear to God. Anybody. Like, that's you. I think he's at you right now. No, no, I swear to God, I'm living for crypto right now. I quit my job in productions in Las Vegas because it was, <laughs> it was slower than it used to be in 2019. Like COVID's still taking effect in the entertainment industry in Las Vegas. So I quit everything. I I I yeah. sold and donated all my shit, and now I live in a <laughs> semi truck, making about two thousand dollars a week, and investing heavily in a crypto. And and like I'm only doing this for three years. I'm only going to be my, a semi truck driver for three years, so I could invest in a crypto. Like I swear to I, God, it changed I, my whole life for crypto. The thing, like, and it might work for you, and and it, it very well might. But I think like even more safe is like why you're doing whatever it is you're doing. It's like um, sort of like invest in your knowledge base that like puts you at a, like if you don't want to do that job, um, by the way, uh, inflation being what it is, like a million bucks or whatever, isn't going to go as far as it once did. So even if you 10 X your money, your money's going to run out in no time, by the way. So like no, I right. make a lot of money as, as at a regular basis. I, I, my wife and I probably make a good sort of like, you know, we, we generally make a million plus per year 
and yeah, like we burn money like at a pretty substantial clip on different investments and different things and not all of it's liquid um at any given moment but the point is like you can all you'll always find ways to spend more money when you make more money and yeah but so it, it's a lot easier to make money with money and um i i don't think bitcoin's gonna go anywhere i definitely think most of the crypto's gonna go to nothing um i think yeah. this is gonna be the last bull cycle that we're gonna have shit coins uh before strict regulations come on board we're, we're already seeing it happen um but this is in my opinion i think this is the last big bull cycle for all of crypto mm. um so i yeah, mean once I, once I stack that bread in 2025 i plan on selling everything and i plan yeah. on sitting on i plan on sitting on fiat and invest you know getting that two percent apy back and then and then sitting on that and then hopefully the four-year cycles continue and I should be okay. That's 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 Buying where my like nine percent, by the way, like energy stocks, like and stuff come in. Like I'm when your dividends are super guys. high, and they're great to talk to you guys. There, see you later, man. Home. Yeah, Mike. Cool. No, that that's where some of those uh, dividend earning stocks play a role. Uh, MP3. Like when you get out, it's like you want to get into things that like make money nonstop forever, or like into the foreseeable future, so you're making income all the time and you have like a cash flow source that like that way you take those dividend earning things and you can go buy all sorts of shit crypto whatever the hell you want so like we'll that's talk about that we'll talk about that in 2025 Seppi. yeah yeah exactly see what happens at that point that go from there but yeah but anyway yeah there's like opportunities everywhere right now just because the all the markets are down so it's kind of like you could throw a dart at a dartboard and find interesting stuff pretty much at this point anyway well, um, anyone else doing anything particular? Um, if anyone want to come up and hang out or whatever, feel free. I was going to drop off here in a little bit. Got to get like dinner and shit ready. Uh, Got to eat something. <laughs> like, figure out what we're going to eat. What do you What are you eating on the on the on your uh, road trips? MP3. Like we're crap. Like, just straight junk food. Just fucking crap. I would say that like uh, truck drivers that I take care of are sort of like the least healthy fucking people that just die really quickly, by the yeah, way. So yeah, before, dude, well, yeah. don't get rich in crypto and then just drop dead, right? Like, um, you probably need to take care I of almost, yourself while you're I driving. Fucking, I, I almost fucking died yesterday, bro. Like, not lying. <laughs> on the, on the car God. accident? Yeah. Shit. Like, dude, you should, man, it's no joke out here, bro. Like, this is like <laughs> the, the most dangerous shit I've ever done in my life, consistently. That's crazy. So like, so when you're driving and stuff, it's like, how often are you like finding yourself in harm's way? Like you'd say. So my boss is like the least empathetic boss you could imagine. And uh -huh. uh, during Christmas, we were driving this mountain in Oregon every day. Uh -huh. And so yeah, the winter season is just fucked up, man. But I, I'm sure after May or March, I should be okay. Okay. But yeah, it's just <laughs> fucked up. So, like, but. You're pretty safe in a big truck, aren't you? Generally speaking, except if you get jackknife or some shit. Compared to a car, yeah, but still, man, I'm driving eighty thousand pounds going to seventy-five. It's no joke. Not you falling know? asleep and shit on the road, are you? No, that's not the hard part. Honestly. Really? Yeah, it's hard parts. Not like losing control when you drive over black ice. Oh yeah, of course. I, yeah, no, that's there's no room for sleep. And, and like, you know, Twitter spaces keep me awake. And that's, that's another thing. Like I was, that's good. <laughs> I was thinking like, what, how can like I a community learn? service? <laughs> like, 
no, I was like, how can I learn the most about crypto while working? Like right now, like I'm making, yeah, yeah. like, since I've been on this voice chat, I made around 45 bucks, right? That's good. Uh, driving. That's good. I'm going 75 on the 70. Um, okay. Yeah. Like, dude, like I'm in voice chats all the time, learning about all types of things and, and knowing yeah. what, you know, people are talking about what's hot, what's not, you know? And like, so I know for a fact, like I'm going to make, I'm going to continue to make good moves in crypto. And uh, yeah, I'm calling it right now. Just remember this because in April, I want you to remember this. I okay. Think April 1st, I think April 1st is going to be the top for a lot of cryptos. And uh-huh. I plan on I plan on selling everything by mid-April, if not April 1st, April so 2nd. You're thinking the, the local top based on like mm, this little trend that we're going up is going to yeah. kind of keep going up a bit. Where do you, where yeah. do you, uh, where, where is your like fictional endpoint for, let's say like BTC's top then? What's your, what are you doing? Oh fuck! I'm, I don't like what like all of define top for me. So like, what, what's what's enough? Just, like you know what I mean? Like so how much, high does that have to go? Say, for I would say enough? I would say thirty thousand would be the highest for BTC. But like like I do invest in a Bitcoin. It's definitely my for, for forever investment. But yeah. at the same time, man, like I'm making so much more money. I made m- more money on Solana and like two weeks than yeah. I did on Bitcoin all the last bull run. So I I don't know, man. Like I don't really I don't really. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not suggesting necessarily BTC is something that you go and get. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to go buy Bitcoin. I'm just saying, like, just as a general, like, market, uh, you know, just looking at the general market, uh, the top there usually indicates a top for everything, right? I would say around 30,000 for Bitcoin. 30K. So 30K, you're you're out of the crypto space at 30K. Uh, Yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait for a big ass dip, which I think is going to happen. If not, then I'm going to lose my ass because it'll probably just go higher. And uh, but I doubt, I doubt we're not going to see a big ass dip. I want to see Bitcoin down to eleven five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible too. It's like the thing is, like when everyone's upset and there's seller exhaustion, it's possible sometimes these things just keep going up. Like <laughs> you never really know um, what will actually happen because a lot of cash on the sidelines in the economy too. Uh, a lot of people that have pulled out and are in cash and they're just waiting. So like sometimes the FOMO uh, moves the price a lot more than you might think, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I have the FIB level for Bitcoin at 37K on the upside and 12K to the downside. And uh, okay. typically because the FIB traders are rich, um, <laughs> you wind up with sometimes people take leverage at those levels. So sometimes the price slips above that or below that by about 10% to like liquidate those people that are, you know, the, the heavy gamblers or whatever. So mm, like, let's say close to 40 K is a possibility. And then down as low as like nine K 10 K nine K is a possibility. So, but I would be very comfortable buying a lot of BTC at 12 K. I'd be um, perfectly comfortable selling summit. Yeah. Even, uh, even 13, five, even, even 13, five, you should look at Bitcoin because I, I heard 13, five is the lowest, uh, miners will allow it to go because at that level, it it's not profitable. Yeah, well, so you you should probably if you want to have alpha that you haven't if you haven't used it before, get yourself like on Trading View, and use the free Trading View account. Uh, there's um, a user generated chart on there called the Bitcoin hash rate um, capitulation chart. I post it from time to time. You see it when I like stick it up there. And it basically shows you exactly when to buy and sell based on what the miners um, 
like the based on what the hash rate is actually doing. So when the hash rate takes a big dump and the trend is drops below a certain level, then that means that it's time to buy. And when the hash rate is super high and like, you know, running really hot along with other indicators, that's when it's time to sell. So the Bitcoin hash uh, capitulation chart has been absolutely spot on every time, by the way. So like I bought 16K-ish and now here we are at 20 something. I might, I could sell it, I suppose. I haven't really, you know, like I have a trading account that I keep for buying and selling. I might sell it possibly. Um, just because like it's a pretty quick return going from 16k to 20k if it goes down fine if not i have the rest of my bitcoin that it just rides um and then like the um on adam like i'll probably buy i i, I kept aside a pretty sizable chunk of money to buy adam at the seven five to seven dollar range again if it reaches there if it doesn't great i'll be making like yield out the wazoo off the adam i already have if it goes down to that five to seven dollar level, then I have about enough. I'll probably double or triple my current position at that point so, over the next I don't year. Know, I don't know if you remember Liberty Liz or Liz the Diz. You remember? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Chica? yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl really that friend has of mine. all the funny little uh, impressions voices or whatever. And stuff. Yeah, yeah like voices, not yeah. only is, not only is she funny, but she's just also like super smart. Um, okay. I, I love this chick, dude. Um, anyways, uh, she <laughs> yeah. uh, she yeah. she knows some. She knows some really impressive people, and okay, they're cool. saying they're saying I'm bringing this up because you mentioned Adam. They're saying that Adam at some point will be taken off of Coinbase and all, a lot of major exchanges because uh, the governments want it. The governments want more control of it, which is surprising. What, what do you think about that? Control over what? Adam, the chain. Adam, what it does. I, oh I, no, I, the, that's the all I know. Chain does nothing. Like, yeah, the Cosmos chain does absolutely nothing right now. <laughs> like, it truly does zero. Um, the, Co- the Cosmos Atom chain is essentially, like, the f- standard bearer for the um, sort of Cosmos network name brand, so to speak. But as far as it doing anything, it doesn't do shit. And, like, it's purely a speculative price action with a... Uh, uh, like a, a yield that comes off of inflation. I thought it was a bridge. I thought it was a bridge. No, no, no. Cosmos Hub has the possible is sort of like the standard bearer for the IBC network, and things like IBC and other experimental things get deployed there first. It's not even a smart contract enabled chain um, in that Cosmosm is not deployed on it because it's meant to be kept super secure. Um, and even, yeah, even smart contracts are voted down on it. So think of Adam as like the, the sort of semi store of value chain for the cosmos. It's also the easiest chain to buy on almost any exchange when it comes to cosmos and it makes it easy to get to the cosmos network. But now the, the government couldn't give two flying fucks about cosmos, Adam, like, like they yeah, truly yeah, pretty, doesn't, pretty, don't give a shit. It's <laughs> so. pretty fucked up that Coinbase only offers like a six or 5% APY. I forgot. I haven't been on Coinbase for a while. When That's right. You, when when it has what now a twenty one twenty two percent uh increase yes, in volume, so, yes, so like so, big, can you imagine Bitcoin staking everybody's fucking? Cosmos but I'll tell you, I'll tell you why that is. Cut. I'll tell you why that happens. Um, why Coinbase doesn't offer the full staking amount is one, they don't stake all of the users, Adam, to make that six percent or seven percent. They stake a small fraction of it. And they do that so that like they can keep most of it liquid so they can handle their primary role as an exchange. 
So they have some staked. So the Coinbase validator for is one of the larger validators on Cosmos Hub. And they do have a sizable chunk stake, but they don't stake all of user assets because they have to be liquid, right? The second thing is like they um, are basically offering a simple liquid stake solution because a lot of people don't move their coins to wallets. They leave them on exchange. Right. So at least you're giving 6 to 7%, but you're still liquid and you can trade it, right? Whereas if you yeah. stake it, like, you could go with wallet. staking, or you could go to Stride, or like Nollar was talking about earlier, you could go to like Quicksilver or something like that, and you could well, eventually you get, you can, you can get liquid staked versions if you want. Um, where do, do I stake yours? what? My Atom? Yeah. Um, well, like Trust there's different validators, but LunkDAO is good. <laughs> like Bruce's oh, really? place. Yeah, Bruce, LunkDAO has their thing on, um, so that's offering? an option. What um, the, well, I mean, Adam is 21%, right? So it's like that minus whatever the commission for that validator, which might be 5% or whatever. I think, I think Trust Wallet's offering 22%. I've just, I haven't staked on Trust Wallet yet. I don't know if you could daily compound it like you can with, uh, the Meyer app with Elrond. But, yeah, yeah, you can. You have to claim it to compound, though. So technically, that's okay. a taxable event. But so you could also go to like Stride or Quicksilver and buy the liquid stake version. So they double tax you if you want a daily compound. Yes, they tax you oh, that's as up. income on anytime you have like a, a yield earning token, you're getting taxed as income every time you claim that yield, and then any growth of that yield. So let's say I, you know, like, like let's say I claim my yield at ten dollar atom and it goes to twenty dollars. Then I have to pay income tax when it's on the $10 amount for that amount that I claimed. And then any growth that happens, I have to claim capital gains on that too. So it's like, so that's where things like liquid stake tokens like Stride and Quicksilver come in. And you could basically like have auto compounding within the price of the coin. So you don't have to actually claim anything. It auto compounds 24 seven. That's what Stride is for. So like, that's yeah, what Nala was talking tools, about earlier. A lot of Dex tools do that as well. If you were to like provide liquidity into a pool. They oh, you mean, they yeah, like, but LPs are, LPs are like differently dangerous and they have different risks. Yeah, but, I but know. I would I'm say that, that like, <laughs> liquid staked versions of certain types of blockchain tokens can be useful as a um, kind of auto compounding uh, instrument where you don't have to pay taxes on the, on the daily growth or whatever. You don't have to claim and restake or anything like that. But mm, it uh, depends on how liquid you need to be. Um, and like, each of these, consider them as tools. They have purposes and they're used at, you know, depending on what you're trying to do. Like, yeah, anyway, but um, hey, Matt, what's up? Let me see if Matt had a point here. Patrick, what's up? Hey, hey, Sefi, what's up? Thanks for uh, having me up. I appreciate it. Not uh, a bro. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I uh, had a, heard of you from a friend named McClessy recommended, been following you for a little while. Appreciate the uh, content and just yeah, wanted to cool. come up and say. Thank you, because I've been uh, real tired of talking about NFTs lately. So it's nice to come in here, uh, hear what you guys <laughs> are throwing down. I do have one question, one comment. I can feel that. Comment. I love hearing a little Elrond shout out, rebranding over to Multiverse X. That's where I'm oh! currently building. So, so that was pretty unexpected and cool. MP, thank you. And then yeah, uh, I've just got, I think I've got like around, not too much, but I've got like 20,000 bucks worth of Elrond myself. Nice. Uh, no big deal. Yeah, so I, I bought it. Um, so like like MP3 said, I usually just use my wallet. I just sort of like take the yield periodically and and restake it. Or I like if, if there's a big market pump, I might sell my yield. That way I'm like compounding my yield interest in a sense. And then buy, buy back lower when the 
and the market drops. But right now, it's at a pretty good price, I think, Elrond, compared to their other market caps out there. Oh, yeah. So this it's was, a, this was oh. a nice... $40 was like a constant, like a floor for a while in 2020. Uh, so, yeah, this is a great price to fucking buy Elrond. Uh, anytime, it, like, we just had a flash dip. I saw Elrond at 38, fucking put 400 bucks that bitch. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, there's huge upside potential. I mean, the interface, you know, I love it. And I don't want to get into, like, uh, you know, sound like I'm shilling uh, Elrond. I pretty much live there these days. It was like the black hole for my time and liquidity. Just kept sucking me in. You know, uh, it's uh, got a lot of work to do, but just massive upside you mentioned the market cap i mean yeah like you know i, I think it uh could definitely be one of the main uh main alt runners into the next pool there but uh Seth, yeah, yeah. I, th I think it has more potential than a lot of other things to reclaim its prior high um so i think that by itself is good enough reason so prior high is like what close to 400 x this actually yeah so yeah it's a good 10x yeah, from here yeah <laughs> yeah so i'm yeah. fine with like holding on to my e-gold I, I bought it i started buying it um like uh, let me see when did i start getting it i started getting it as it dropped below about i think 70 bucks and the vast majority of it i have it i think of 40 bucks or something like that which is right around where it is now so i'm, I'm pretty comfortable where it well, is watch for an update on the Meyer app it's going to be rebranded to x portal they're kind of doing a lot of x branding to throw uh descriptors on there you know, just so because everything was all erratic. I think they had some legal issues uh, through Lord of the Rings or whatever. So they're cleaning everything up. But uh, uh, Benyamin Minku, the uh, CEO, he says that X Portal is going to come with a lot of noise February 28th. The timing there would be pretty good, you know, into the into the April, you know, May area where uh, I know some people are eyeing those uh, the little run. I think MP had mentioned that as well. So, yeah, I thought his name yeah. was Benjamin. I've been saying his name wrong this whole time. I've been in so, Elrond for a while. Benjamin or Benjamin or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, uh, Romanian. Yeah, I, I used right. to say Benjamin, and I guess I was still technically yeah. wrong. And some you know of my what? Romanian I, fam I correct me. I didn't realize Elrond, the name, was like copyright. So that would explain why they weren't allowed on Coinbase until they rebrand. So that makes so much sense. Yes. And actually, I think it's the same reason because we've been screaming for some marketing. You know, we're like, guys, where are you? And then you find out all this kind of happening behind the scenes. Yeah. Do they market the things? Elrond does such a great job with marketing at the right time. Like, you remember the last bull run at the start? They're like 100 days of hype and how well out, how well that played out, bro. They went from like a $5 market, like $5 a token per coin to like 160 Yes. In, what was in it? no time. Yeah, yeah, I think I was, bought. I think I bought Elrond last time at a hundred and sold it like three fifty, something like that. Yeah, I think it was called Hyper Growth One Hundred. Yeah, thanks for bringing of, that up. I forgot yeah, about that. Hundred yeah. days of hype. Yeah, hundred days of hyper growth or something like that. Yeah, and I I bought my first Elrons at like thirteen dollars, bro. I had oh. my first investment. I bought one hundred and sixty Elrond of the bull run last last bull run it was my first buy. Nice. Nice. I have um I have a bit another, another trick to do by the way, guys, is like you just go on whatever exchange and you buy like a <laughs> hundred bucks of every coin. Um or whatever. <laughs> like you buy literally everything in the top two hundred and the odds you're gonna do well are quite high, like in the grand yeah, scheme of things. But, but fuck that. I I'd rather wait till the next hype 
shit coin come out and I'll just 200x on that shit. Like for oh, get, get the get the brand new ones. Yeah, sure. And, but at the same time, remember the VC um, level of ownership means that there's a high probability you'll be dumped on too. So you have like the right timing on those is quite difficult sometimes. Just having yeah. dealt with those quite a bit. But, if, but I mean, if you're only gambling like 100, 200 bucks on these, shit yeah, coins, sure, it's sure, not much, of course, you know. Yeah, like yeah, I, I bought Shiba when it first came. So a good indic- a good thing to watch is the uh, recently added to coin uh, coin market cap. So the recently added, just scan through those tokens every day. Go on their websites. Go on their telegrams. Meet the devs on the telegrams and, and discords. Like seriously, like dive into coins, and you'll find a diamond in the rough. You will. Uh, that's how I found Shiba, and and I put a hundred bucks in that bitch, and it went down to twenty five bucks. I forgot about it because the gas fee would be actually more expensive for me to take it out. So I just let it ride, and it shot up to sixteen hundred dollars, and I sold it. And I thought I was a genius. I was like, yeah, I just sixteen x on a shitcoin. Well, then if I if I would have just held Shiba with a hundred dollars when it first got into coin market cap, I would have had almost a half a million dollars. But I sold it way That's too early. So funny. That's really funny. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Calling the tops is not as easy as it sounds. Um, so yeah, a lot of people did that, right? So it's like, anyway, but uh, Wabi, what's going on, man? You've been doing well? You there? <laughs> Can't tell if he's listening or what. Wabi, you there? <laughs> you got the thumbs up signal there. Not sure if he's AFK or busy or something. Anyway, yeah, so <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's good catching up with everybody. Um, yeah, it's been a kind of a busy work week. Uh, I've got like quite a bit to do for the next few weeks as well. Got some corporations and things and got to get all the different tax bullshit together quickly and get that out of the door. Um, so like just, you know, just working on stuff as well as like my regular day job. So it's fun to get hanging out here for a while. Uh, anyway, uh, MP3, anything more from you? Like any no, other I, I, theories? I or? I hope you guys didn't mind uh, me taking up the floor so much. I, oh, no, you're I, fine. I get really excited about crypto, and uh, yeah, this yeah, is all good. I do. This is all I fucking do is just I think about crypto every day, all the time. Um, and last thing I'll say is, yeah, uh, look out for the <laughs> updates for look out for the updates for uh, Eagle and Elrond. Uh, my, multi, Multiverse X is now called. Look out for these updates. It's gonna be a big thing. That's the last yep. thing I'll say, man. I've, I've got my Eagle bag. It's I was buying it exponentially on as of recently so we'll see maybe we get like i didn't get more i should have gotten more like on the recent the the very bottom bottom but um i felt like i had enough so it depends if we see another double bottom or go below the previous price i'll probably just really ape in at that point get even more aggressive although you know it's pretty good bag we'll see what happens (laughs) so all right well good um yeah hopefully everyone has a good day uh yeah trying to die on the in your 18 wheeler or whatever man um watch the ice and uh we'll catch up later see you later guys thanks for checking out another episode of the ether that was a chepe space where are we going dollar sign luna recorded on thursday january 19th 2023 for terraspaces.org i'm finn thanks for listening Waking up like a basement dweller Stepped out the door and heard racist yelling 2020, what an ugly shit show Staring at the fucking Rick Roll from the get-go Looking outside, the whole state's on fire The fuck do you expect when you embrace the liars And replace the
the writers with AI just like us Emaciated models killing bright birds First in, last out, picture me rolling The worst time to cash out, so what you holding? The Merc's gonna cash cow, country stolen Drooling over chicken like the goose is golden Trying to be so full, spitting that molten Lava from the bottom of the caldera I'm hot and gonna put it in a bottle And offer it to the god who hit the gas full throttle Blasting off in a rocket The many people who will, will see things happen to them That are in their favor So someone's looking over me that's a, that's a fascinating phenomenon when that happens. And what, when you analyze those situations, what you find is, is that we as humans simply have a profound inability to understand statistics and probability. Stitching these writings, living that life like, who would have guessed you'd turn out this nice, right? Avoiding stress, that's the motherfucking secret. Print that shit on a motherfucking leaflet. I'm just an asshole hooked on the bricks. Looking at the rectangles, damn, they kinda thick. We've gone through a whole lot of kings here. Cutting off heads just to bring cheer. Getting all fired up, Tiger King, line them up when you give an arm and a leg just to try the junk. On some first time buyer's luck, Alexa, set a reminder and remind me to buy a bunch. And put your hands up if you fuck this year. And keep them in the air if you're picking up the spare. And put your mask on just to go outside. Looking at the planet about to downsize. So, climate change will not make Earth. Basically, every other coastal city that we've spent thousands of years building uh, in the, since the dawn of civilization. Ten spaces.